I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as Shuggaths, Eldrick Beings, franchises, and director's bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Man, you guys thought you went a while without an episode the last couple of times. But how about this one? And then we just stuck some bullshit bonus episodes in there. Yeah. All filler, no killer. I've actually got some good responses from the Halloween Horror Nights episode, which we did make a full episode, which that was kind of the cheat there. But um, yeah, so maybe that works. Let us know what you think. Otherwise, we don't know not to do it again. (laughs) Oh, we'll do it again regardless. (laughs) (laughs) We're coming at you guys on November the 13th, 2022 to record episode 74. Is that what we decided on? Okay, we think that's right. Uh, We don't count the bonus episodes, but it made it a little tricky here in this gap. And I'm going to warn everybody that I am getting over bronchitis, and I'm sick as shit and probably going to lose my voice. (laughs) It happens. But hey, content. It is content. Current news. It's been so long since we've done one of these that I can't fathom what has and has not happened. So, uh... Yeah, I'm sure Bloody Disgusting or somebody's got like a great fucking list you can look at. <laughs> I can't think of anything crazy, but no announcements. Josh doesn't even know this. Josh and I are planning on trying to get three episodes out before the end of the year. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah I think we can do it. <laughs> now, whether I'm counting this as one of those three or not is debatable. Oh, shit. I like to cheat. <laughs> and uh, we're trying to work on some extra content right now. We're going to see how that goes. They're the bones of something rattling around. They're the bones of something. <laughs> and in my case, maybe even broken bones. But <laughs> Updates and corrections. I had no notes. I, I, I checked for editing, and that's I, I never check for corrections. <laughs> so either we didn't fuck up for once, or I forgot to write it down. I'm going to go with the latter. What we watched, I want to be so brief with this because it's been so long. I've watched a lot. Most of it's probably not on this list. And I'm not counting my 31 Nights of Halloween because I had seen 99% of that before already. But just a real quick list. I watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's pretty funny. I liked it. It actually surprised me at the end. So that's pretty cool. Um, it's not what I thought it was going in. The only thing I'm going to say is I was watching it with my buddy David and we're three minutes in and I was like, Hey, look, that actor's poor man's Lee Pace. And David goes, dude, I think that is Lee Pace. And it was, I just didn't know he was in this small indie movie. I don't know who Lee Pace is. What would you have seen him in? Did you watch Pushing Daisies? Nope. Mm, Halt and Catch Fire? Nope. Yeah, we'll get to it later. I'll explain it to you later. Anyways, um, Halloween ends, but you guys know because we covered that. And I'm done talking about that one for a little bit. Barbarian, I don't think we've had an actual episode where we did or what we watched. But I saw that in theaters. It was awesome. Cabinet of Curiosities, fucking loved it. Relevant this episode with the Cosmic Horror. Midnight Club, a lot of fun. I finally watched X. I got to watch Pearl now. Watched the Hellraiser reboot. 
I liked it for what it was. I know some people just fucking hated it, but those were my big ones. And there was TV shows in there, so that that covers a lot. Any like big ones you want to throw out there? Yeah. Well, Barbarian, which uh, I'm sure we'll go into more detail on in a later episode. The 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 core of it, I really liked, and it. Anyways, well, I'm sure we will end up talking about it. <laughs> We're gonna have to. Rob Zombie's Monsters, which was a fucking tur- uh, turd salad to me. I watched it. It was okay. I'll never watch it again, though. Uh, I, I think kids would dig it. Anyways. <laughs> one thing I want to say about Monsters, I read the the greatest thing on Reddit one day. People were shitting on it like two days, three days after it came out. And somebody posted, my mom's birthday came up and I was visiting at her house and we used to always watch the Monsters together when I was a kid. It was her favorite show. And I told her there was a new movie out and she wanted to watch it. And she was smiling like a kid the whole time laughing and said it was awesome at the end <laughs> and he's like so maybe this movie wasn't for you you know but like the people who wanted to go watch the monsters got it so yeah. and I've, I've read a lot of that like a lot of older people and stuff like this feels like watching the monsters so i think people a lot of people are just expecting rob zombie and they got the monsters <laughs> it's cheesy but yeah cabinet curiosities which of course you meant, mentioned mm-hmm. had a couple of really good episodes in it yeah. um it wasn't bad or anything mm-hmm I don't think there was any bad ones. There's just some of them were just a little like, meh. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, none of them that were bad, but there were some meds in there. Uh, VHS 99, which yeah, mm-hmm. it, it exists. <laughs> I've only seen the first one. Oh, really? Yeah, VHS yeah. 99 is like the fifth one. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe only the fourth. I don't know. It could be the fifth. Deadstream, which I don't want to talk about until you've seen it. Okay. So uh, should I watch it? Get hammered and watch it. And I'm not. Is it joking. a movie or a show? It's a movie. I might watch it tonight if I can't sleep. <laughs> I'm hammered on cold medicine, so we went and saw uh, Smile while mm. uh, while we were in Orlando. I don't remember if I talked about that or not, but that was that was interesting. I didn't know what it was, and I saw like posters and a clip of a trailer, and I just thought it was like a little shitty, cheesy fucking movie that was nothing to talk about. And then everybody was talking about how good it was, and I was like, I don't know anything about it, so maybe I should just go watch it blind. Yes. And I did find out, I think it's the, I'm assuming it's the main girl is actually Kevin Bacon's daughter, and it's her first movie. Oh, really? Yeah, because no I saw shit. interviews, like, it's awesome. She started, because his first movie, I think, was Friday the 13th, the original one. Yeah. And he's like, it's awesome. She started in a horror movie like I did. <laughs> so. Uh, and then, of course, Terrifier 2, which. You, mm. you you need to see both terrifiers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure I watch that one. My wife finally got talked into somebody like non-horror people were like, yeah, you should really watch Barbarian. So I think I get to watch that with her this week. That's a fucked up movie, man. <laughs> and uh, another thing Josh and I watched, um, the Evil Dead musical. Yes, we did. Last night. Live last night. Yeah, with our wives. And uh, I just want to say it's fucking awesome. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to ramble enough, but today we're going to talk about cosmic horror, also known as Lovecraftian horror, which for people who don't know the term are stories that deal with descents into madness, dread, and fear of the unknown. And it's always people in like a normal world or situation dealing with unimaginable and ununderstandable horror. And uh, it's freaky because it's the unknown and nobody likes the unknown. Yeah, it's pinholes into the other side of the veil, but just pinholes. Yeah. <laughs> and and of course, Cosmic Horror originated by H.P. Lovecraft. That's why it's Lovecraftian horror. And his first story was the Dunwick Horror in 1929. I should have wrote down when my story came out. 
originally, but I think it was like 34 or something. I'm guessing that'll be an update. Um, and he's the origin for Cthulhu, right? Which I'm sure everybody's heard that at least once or twice and the inspiration for so much more. Like you can't tell me that Pennywise the clown is not an Eldritch cosmic being and that Stephen King was uh, not influenced by Lovecraft for that. Oh yeah, totally. He fits in that vein, but that that's a wide fucking vein. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure a lot of people were going to be like, duh, in some messages to me where he said it 50 times. And, um, his stories always involve the fictional North shore towns of Arkham, Innsmouth, Kingsport, and Dunwich. And, uh, my alma mater, according to my hat here, Miskatonic University. <laughs> it's always where the scientists come from. Yeah, even even movies that are not actually based off of Lovecraft stories, but the person's completely inspired by Lovecraft when they wrote it and they wanted to make their own Lovecraftian story, they still usually make the towns mentioned in there somewhere, or it's in those towns. Yeah. It's not like they're trademarked or anything and that's like when you you know that the person's like look this is a lovecraft story because it's in fucking kingsport (laughs) and uh, i don't know about you but you know we both grew up reading like rl stein and christopher pike and stuff like that when i got a little older i I got into the hp uh lovecraft myself i even have my wife got me like a big like complete works of his on sale at a bookstore one day just because she saw it and knew i liked it so as everyone knows i fucking have a deep disdain for reading Oh, I used to read when we were younger. Though, yeah, so yeah, yeah, know. yeah. When we were younger, but that's I never, I never grew out, uh, beyond Arl Stein. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, other than a little bit of Poe, so, so I, Reanimator um, was was really when yeah. when I first that that and and From Beyond, which From Beyond is way more on the nose cosmic horror, Lovecraftian, um, or at least the other side of the veil horror. But yeah, it's it's got its <laughs> it's got its tentacles in many a horror things throughout the years, <laughs> and huge in video games and board games and role playing games, all sorts of shit now. Oh yeah, like Dead Space. Dead Space uh, w- would make me think that it it, it can dip its toe <laughs> in that water. Definitely, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and the Dark One, Cthulhu. <laughs> and uh, this is something that we've wanted to do for a while. And a lot of our, our ideas and topics that we wrote down when we were planning out the show originally, I had a movie in mind, and this is one of those episodes where I didn't do the movie that <laughs> made me want to do this category, because I wanted to uh, do something a little new and watch a movie that had came out right before COVID or during COVID that I purposely put off just for this episode, and that movie is 2019's Color Out of Space, which I will be covering today. It is directed by Richard Stanley, who I believe we've brought up on the podcast before. He was the original uncredited and fired director of The Island of Dr. Monroe. Monroe? Didn't you cover that movie once? No, no, no. Huh. I don't know why I thought we had we had discussed that before. But yeah, that movie, uh, it's directed by John Frankenheimer, um, I believe is who got the credit for it but a lot of it was done by richard stanley there's a documentary on youtube you can watch about how much of a shit show that movie was so oh, nice i think we've talked check about it out i think we've talked about that story before because of a writer or a director or something okay like something breached into it i think so 
but he had made a movie called Dust Devil, and he's done some docs and shorts, and I got a little more information on him leading up to this movie, which I thought was interesting. It is written by Richard Stanley, who wrote uh, Above Films, as well as something called Hardware, which I'd never seen, which is apparently a horror movie. And it was also written by Scarlett Amaris, who was previously a dialogue editor on a few movies. And I got a little bit more information on her here in a minute. All right. I just want to go through the cast. We got Nick fucking Cage as Nathan Gardner. And I just literally wrote down a couple random movies, but he's been in so many. Face Off, The Rock, Mandy, Willie's Wonderland, and he's soon to be Dracula in the movie Renfield. Oh, yeah. It's kind of weird how he just... He kind of disappeared for a while. Then he came back and he's like, no, nah. he came back, Nick Cage. Like, I'm, I'm just going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do fucked up horror movies like and fucked up movies. And like, I don't give a fuck. Well, have you seen his new movie where he's playing himself? No. <laughs> it's supposed to be just amazing and hilarious. Oh, do you not even know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. Oh, I'll show you the trailer later. Okay. You're going to love it. Okay. You're going to love it. But yeah, he is full Nick Cage in this fucking movie. And he said he was inspired by Jack Nicholson in The Shining, like how he wanted to portray the role. I could see some of that. Oh, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the rest of the cast here. We got Jolie Richardson as Teresa Gardner, his wife, and she was famous for The Tudors, Nip Tuck. She was in Sandman recently. She's the mom of The Patriot. And she's in Event Horizon. Huh. Interesting movie. Go on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I'm not going to go on everybody I can do Nick Cage. We have their daughter, Lavinia Gardner, played by Madeline Arthur, who was on The Magician, Snowpiercer, Devil in Ohio, and the new blockbuster show that I've watched a few of. I'm not going to say Guilty Pleasure. It is kind of goofy and funny, but they, like, missed the, the mark there. They should have put it in the 90s instead of it being the last blockbuster around right now. Uh, yeah, watch watch the yeah. documentary on the last blockbuster instead, it sounds like. <laughs> they do have some good, like, you know, VHS and rental jokes in there that they throw in because everybody that works there is old, but, like, it's, I don't know, it's not relevant. They they should have put it in the past. Gotcha. Anyways, that's for another another day. We have their son, Benny, played by Brendan Meyer, who was on the OA, Fear the Walking Dead, Arl Stein's The Haunting Hour, right? So he's done a, a couple of horror things. Yep. And their final child, Jack, who is played by Julian Hilliard, who is probably going to be in so much shit growing up because he's already been in The Haunting Hill House, WandaVision, Doctor Strange 2, Conjuring 3, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, kid plays in spooky shit. <laughs> And he plays a bewildered child fucking fantastically. Yeah. And the last cast member I'm going to I'm gonna bring up here, there's another one I'll throw in later, but Elliot Knight plays Ward. I'll go into him a little bit more information ab about his character, but he's in a lot of TV shows. I saw he's in like the new Sinbad show. He was Merlin on Once Upon a Time. He was on American Gothic. He was on Life Sentence and Animal Kingdom recently, but it looks like he primarily does TV. Okay. He's good in this though. He's got, he's got some lead dude acting chops. Probably see some more from him soon because this movie was really well received. And the special effects were done by, from what I could see, a company called User 238. I think they're a Spanish design and post-production company, and they had a very limited budget. And uh, if that's true, they did pretty well with a limited budget. It sounds like one kid in his mom's basement, and like that's the that's the credentials he uses to like log into a supercomputer to use it for offloading all of his renders. Like, <laughs> it's his Reddit name. <laughs> Let's see. There we go. 
I think I'm friends with the guy on the horror Reddit. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's it for the the cast and crew that I'm gonna go into. Uh, go over a few facts and then dive into the movie. But something new that I want us to start doing for all of our movies, Josh, and I forgot to tell you, so you have to look it up before yours. Nope. Is I think it'd be cool to read the log line for the movie. I agree. We probably should. So here we go. A secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite, which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world. A few interesting tidbits I wanted to go into after teasing you at that log line before I, I dive into the movie. It was made by the same production company as Mandy, Spectre Vision, which is Elijah Wood's company, right? Yep, yep. Or he's a part of it, at least. I don't yeah. know if he owns it, but so probably how we got Nick Cage. <laughs> yep. This is the fifth film adaptation of the story of The Color Out of Space, the third American adaptation. The original was Die, Monster, Die in 1965, and the second one was The Curse in 1987 with Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton? Do you remember when we were younger and we watched this movie where this dude's driving a car and he like runs over a snake and he like reaches under the tire and he gets bit by a snake and he starts to turn into a snake and eat people? That's actually the curse too. So that's like, I guess somebody ate a bunch of peyote after <laughs> making a Lovecraft story and made up a snake movie. So okay, irrelevant to this episode, but it's just like, I was like, the curse, is that not the snake movie? And then I realized I wasn't crazy. It was actually the sequel to The Color Out of Space, All right. but not by Lovecraft. Anyways, this was Richard Stanley's first film in 24 years after being fired from the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> he could still direct. It's a well-directed movie, and um, it's a hard story to direct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard is a huge H.P. Lovecraft fan, and he even wrote his unproduced biopic film called Providence. So I don't know. I doubt that's ever going to come out, but I'll get into that in a minute. This was the <laughs> first film of his Lovecraftian trilogy that he had approved based on different Lovecraftian stories. The Dunwick horror was going to be the, the part two, but he was accused of domestic abuse against his partner, Scarlett Amaris, who was the co-writer of this film and basically got dropped and they're not going to want to make the movie. That's probably why the biopics not coming out. Yup. So that sucks. Speaking of shady characters, HP Lovecraft, Amazing author. Wrote some good stuff. Possibly he was a Nazi, though. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, he was, he was probably a piece of shit. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I knew it was, like, <laughs> extremely racist, and I think possibly a Nazi. And I probably should say that somewhere in here, but the stories are good. <laughs> no Nazi stories in there. We're not being, you know, indoctrinated or anything. Um, <laughs> should have been a warning at the beginning. By the way, this guy might have been a racist piece of shit. Um <laughs> Sorry, let me let me get this going so I can get into the movie. Uh, Lavinia is actually the name of a character from the Dunwick Horror and not in the color out of space. But Nathan had three sons in the original story and right. no daughter. So they wanted to give him a daughter and they used a throwback name. The narrator of the story is the narrator in the in the book also, but he's the hydrologist in this film. And like I said earlier, his name is Ward. And they actually say his last name one time, Phillips. His name's Ward Phillips. Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Ah, okay. Ah, yeah, yeah. So his name was, you know, a throwback to H.P. Lovecraft. And it's not too far off from the original story. I even went back and read it last night just to make sure I wasn't crazy. But it is presented differently in the movie because the book is Ward telling the story as he heard it 
from the hermit that lives on their property, who's actually a woman in the story, and not Tommy Chong. <laughs> but Tommy Chong's great in this. I was, I was going to wait until we got there to talk about Tommy Chong, but he's good in this. And um, the people in the nearby town of Arkham, like all telling their accounts of how the family went mad, basically. And the story leaned very heavily on being driven mad from the unknown and not body horror. Okay. The movie went with body horror. And uh, that was my last little tidbit, but that reminds me, I should probably say, this is a very visual movie. <laughs> the colors, I will do man. my best to present it to you. That fucking color. And uh, let's see where we can go with it. Do you have anything you need to add? Or? Just as far as the colors go, like this would be epic if, if, you, to, uh, if you did shrooms and watch this. This would be a beautiful movie. I'm not condoning or Which is now... That legal in colorado yeah 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 yeah. so uh it's funny so once we get set up at our uh, new base of operations in colorado we'll let you know how <laughs> that goes but uh no it it, 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 re- it really is and it's it's neat to see it used i'll just get it out of the way here it, it's neat to see cgi used in a way that's not heavy-handed and wasn't big production like you said and uh it still sets atmosphere it still works it's not like garish or anything it's it's like it works and it, it and it's and it's pretty <laughs> and it's and it's it's neat to see like you know alien movies oh it's gonna be green lights and blue lights and horror movies oh it's gonna be red lights and this is like it's pastels and and and, and pretty like it really is and it, it's that makes it even worse because of how creepy this shit is while it's going on and it, it was it was well done do you want me to give you a little extra little little bit of information on that color there that I forgot to put in my notes, but I just remembered. (laughs) Do tell. They chose the color magenta to use because magenta is not actually a real color, and it's how our minds interpret colors that our eyes can't see. See, that's like like the whole Nightmare on Elm Street red and green thing, like things you never know till you know. That's good. (laughs) I forgot, like, we've been prepping for this episode for like four months. So like I've had to go back and redo all my shit. And uh, somehow I just pulled that out of my ass and remembered it, but I forgot to put it in my new version of the notes. Nice. So yeah, fucking magenta is not real. Anyways, we open up with some surreal wooded scenery as we hear our narrator, Ward Phillips, the surveyor or hydrologist, reciting the opening of H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. And basically, he's talking about the woods west of Arkham and all of their mystery and wonders. And after the short recital, we find out that he's there to survey for a new reservoir to be put in on the land. And the people of Arkham told him the place was basically cursed and to not fuck with anything. And he knows Arkham has a lot of old witch legends and whatnot. And it was not until he was there that he saw something elder. That's how he ends it. So... It's pretty cool. They they word for word do the opening part of the story, and then he kind of bends it in. So it's nice. Yeah. We're then introduced to our first gardener family member, Lavinia, as we see her reciting a ritual down by the waterside in a cape, and a keen eye would notice that she has purple streaks in her hair. Foreshadowing. <laughs> I guess I should have said magenta. I always said purple, but it's it's magenta, right? But <laughs> I, I, I guess that was our first Easter egg. Anyways, it sounds like she's calling to like archangels or something at first because she's like to Gabriel and blah, blah, blah. And somebody's going to make fun of me because it's probably an actual ritual. I don't know. But she's talking the the elements from what I gathered. And 
I'm ignorant of most of this shit, but basically she, she's doing a ritual to pray to have the cancer removed from her mother, Teresa, and to protect her and to help her get the fuck out of this town, right? Yeah, yeah. And she's got this horse and it's cool. And uh, <laughs> it's an interesting thing for dude to roll up on. Like, all right, they told me all yeah, this yeah. shit was crazy. Watch out for witches, blah, blah, blah. Let's see what we have. This is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's not taken aback by it at all. He's not. Right? Which he knows more about it. You'll see in a second. But um, she's interrupted by Ward as he walks up. And she lets him know that he's on private property after he says who he, who he is and what he's there to do. And he lets you know that he was told that he was on county land. And uh, she mentioned something about him interrupting her ritual. And he wants to know if it was Wiccan or Alexandrian. Like I said, I don't know anything about this shit. And she wants him to guess which one. And he says, definitely Alexandrian. That's your second mistake today. But you could tell they like each other right off the bat. There's vibes. She then gives him directions back to the county land, and he asks her for her name because we can see that they're attracted to each other, and she rides off on her horse named Comet. Huh? Huh? Ah. <laughs> see what they did there? As Ward notices pentagrams on her bare feet, so he was paying all kinds of attention to her. She's a Winchester. She's <laughs> a Winchester, yeah. Uh, we then get a look at the Gardner family farm as Lavinia arrives, and we can see that they have a dog and a pack of alpacas. Yeah, yeah. The family did have, like, packs of animals for meat in the story, but I, they were not alpacas. Nobody eats alpacas. <laughs> no, no. Nathan gets on to her for wandering off and worrying her mother, which he's saying it like he's the one worried and mom's busy and doesn't even know you're gone. That's the vibe I got. <laughs> and uh, her mother, Teresa, comes out asking if she knows where her brother Benny is, and she says he's probably off smoking dope with Ezra. Um, she puts Comet up in the stable and finds their dog, Sam, and her brother, Benny, smoking weed by himself in there. And he wants to know if she cursed them all, and she lets him know that curses come back times three. Witch, sorceress, soul-sucking succubus. Benny says that he found some more of Grandpa's old stuff, and he shows her some old goggles and says dibs. She lets him know it's not fair, and he reminds her that she got his compass, okay? Which I think, I think that pops up later, but. Yes, um, yes. She lets him know about Ward, and then she says, I think he's cute. And as she walks back to the house, she sees their youngest sibling, Jack, looking down the well, and he says that Dad told him you could see the stars if you stared long enough down there. And Lavinia wants to know why they cannot just use bottled water like everyone else. Foreshadowing. They heavy handed at the beginning, but it's got to be done. It is. And I, I, I got to ask, is, is that a, I, I get, you know, if you stare long enough, you'll see stars. But I, I get the surface level of that and I get the underline of that for the film. But do you think that there's anything in there about, you know, the old saying that if you stare long enough into the abyss, the abyss stares back. Don't become the monster you're trying Ooh. to find. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, d I don't know if it's trying to go that deep there, but it did make me think that when rewatching the movie the other night. Just because That's of how, interesting. It, how it all goes down with him, so to speak. And the... The water part was what grabbed me and made me not even think about the stars part with this being cosmic horror, <laughs> right? Like I was just like thinking like, don't drink the fucking water because I'd read the story before, you know? It just made me think of signs as many times as we're going to see water as, as a fucking character in the movie. <laughs> right, right. We can see that Pops has made some dinner and it's some French dish that Lavinia and Jack are not into, but Ben thinks it smells good. Well, that's probably because he's fucking high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Nathan says that it's mom's favorite and we can see the mom's working upstairs in the attic until the internet cuts out and she joins the family for dinner and tells Nathan to fix the router or the dish or whatever the fuck is wrong, right? 
And Lavinia makes fun of her dad for the alpacas, which I think that was the nobody eats alpacas dad that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> yes. And Teresa sends Nathan down to the basement to get one of his finest, which they were just trying to show that there was, there was foreshadowing. There's a cellar down there that somebody might can hide in if they need to later. <laughs> we can see the family bonding over dinner and Nathan telling them. It's time to do the dishes in like a joking manner singing. And they're, they're, they're like a good, happy family, right? Like they're all goofy and have their own quirks is what we're supposed to get here. And all the kids play along and point fingers and we can see the mom staring at them in bliss and realizing that she was like granted extra time, right? Because we know that she had cancer, yeah. right? So she's just like glad to be here with her family. She's not going to be saying that later. Uh <laughs> Later that night, Nathan joins his wife on the porch, talking about how he cannot believe he turned into his father and moved to the family farm. So now we know how this guy lives on a farm now because it doesn't really make sense until then. And he tries to get some and says that it's been six months. And she says she doesn't know how he can find her attractive after she's had her breast removed. You know, I've always been a leg man. <laughs> so if I have my legs cut off, you still love me then. Yes. I could tuck you into my carry-on luggage and enjoy you wherever Ooh, I go. Now that is sexy. It's so weird. And like I would be willing to bet that was a Nick Cage improv there. Yeah, probably. But at, the, at this point I buy everything. I buy the dynamic between the yeah. kids and, and the parents and everything. It's 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 quick too. It's real quick getting yeah. you to buy it. Yeah, I mean, they're great as the parents. They're both seasoned actors. And then I don't know, I feel like the kids were picked perfectly. Yeah. I'm just go ahead and say that now. Like every kid, like I don't know, like even like Benny. Normally he'd be a throwaway character in a story. I feel like, but the kid just like kind of carried it. Like he cares and he's trying to be responsible. And you yeah, know. yeah, he's not a fuck up. He just likes weed. Right, right. And they they all go take care of the little brother and stuff. I don't. Know, I think it's it's a really really good family dynamic. But basically, the gardeners are talking about how they're glad they finally got out of the city and that they're now living the dream. So now we know for sure they're new to farm life. And uh, <laughs> they're going to be living a nightmare in a minute. Those damn tomatoes. Right, right. <laughs> Whatever the peaches, all that shit. <laughs> that kind of happens in the book, too. They talk about the uh, rotten fruit and stuff they try to deliver to town. Oh, okay. Because so, like I said, everything's like um, the town stories, yeah. the hermit stories about the gardeners. The gardeners are long gone. You know, by the time Ward's telling the story. I don't think his name's Ward, though. I don't I don't remember the character's name. But anyways, we can see the family at night, like, doing their thing, right? So Jack's the young kid, so he's sleeping. Lavinia's in a room reading, you know, some educational pieces, such as the Necronomicon. Yeah. Which was also created by H.P. Lovecraft. For anyone who didn't know, the Necronomicon is his made-up book, which, you know, Sam Raimi was a fan also. Because the Deadites are pretty much cosmic horror. Yeah, yeah. Turned three stooges. But anyways, <laughs> this is accurate. <laughs> Benny's surfing the web and he's like staring into space maps and star charts and black holes and shit. Stoned as fuck. Yeah. I think when you first see him at his computer, you can already see what's on the words posted on the wall above his computer. I might not have caught it. What was it? And no flesh shall be spared or something like that. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. I didn't even catch it. There's a lot of stuff like even on Lavinia's walls and I was looking and I caught a couple little things, but it, you know. Yeah, I, that one would have been worth noting. Yeah, and they're not they're not linchpins anything. They never come back to them. But there's a lot of stuff, even just the use of triangles. It's just flavor, right? Yeah, just thrown in like stuff like that is really neat throughout the movie. You can tell a Lovecraftian fan made a Lovecraft movie. Yes, right? but uh, let's see. We've covered all three kids, right? Yeah. So 
We can see Nathan and Teresa are trying to get it on, and the house starts to shake, and only Jack seems to notice, and he starts getting scared, and he goes looking for his parents in the hallway. He finds Sam scared in the hallway, and during all this, we see... I, I wrote purple a lot. We'll say magenta light in the sky <laughs> that uh, starts to go over the, the farm and it silhouettes Jack's body. And he's like basically engulfed with the light and, and it goes to the alpacas and the stables. And we can see through the windows of the house and we can see the purple light flashing through every family member as there's this loud thud and a rattle. And Jack does this like blood curdling scream and the whole family runs to him. And uh, out in their yard, they can see a giant glowing magenta meteor with smoke coming off and Nathan starts commenting on the fucking smell, right? <laughs> the, the, from that thing. And everyone seems normal except for Jack. And I want to point out that he's the only one that had the light go directly into his eyes. Everybody else was doing something else. True. And it's never really mentioned, but he's the only one that goes like catatonic and weird at first and yes. can talk to it, you know? And I, I, I think that's why, but like, he's literally catatonic and not talking for a while while they're trying to figure stuff out throughout the night. And um, then he just snaps out of it and starts talking about how bad of a headache he has at some point. I remember that. And, uh, oh, yeah, Nathan just keeps bitching about the goddamn smell throughout the entire night. But no <laughs> one else smells anything. Not only, like, it's not like they're like, I don't smell anything, Dad. It's just like nobody comments on it. Nobody else is making a sound. But he's like, wah, wah, you know, like, every time he breathes. And it's because he's already going mad, right? Yo. Yo, I go a little mad sometimes. But the next morning, we can see the mayor and sheriff show up to the Gardner farm, and Nathan called them in to come check out the meteorite, and he takes him to the crater, and he apologizes for the smell, and for the rest of the scene, he is dry heaving into his hand while talking, and it's very <laughs> Nick Cage and very hilarious, and everyone else is fine, just fine, there's no smell, and he lets them know that he heard a sonic boom and an explosion with a light that he cannot describe the color of while going at it with his old lady for the first time since the operation. He likes to overshare. <laughs> this is what you get from that because that happens a couple of times yeah it does and the mayor's like what the fuck Lavinia spots Ward as he walks up and he asks if this is part of her ritual and he starts to stare at her like feet which are covered with like Doc Martens now because I don't know it's like he was attracted to the symbols it's kind of odd and Lavinia takes him to meet her dad Nathan and the mayor wants to know if he has any idea what's going on here because you know I guess he's the closest thing they have to a scientist there yes Miskatonic must be a little too far away. They're busy over there. <laughs> but we can see the meteorite is now ashen. Nathan wants to know if there's a nearby doctor for his son because he's acting weird. And the mayor says he's going to have to drive all the way into Arkham and he should not have moved out into the sticks and just shoulder the damn land when he had a chance. So we can tell the mayor doesn't like him yeah. because she wants the reservoir to go through his land and even sent a surveyor into his land and lied to the surveyor and said the county owned it so that they could plan it out, right? Those fucking holdouts. But Nathan can see that Ward and Lavinia like each other, so he, like, shoes her away to her mom, you know, being protective dad and all. And uh, he does this, like, like, still trying not to puke everywhere. <laughs> I fucking love it. There's so much shit he does in this movie that I like, but him trying not to puke from the smell talking is my favorite. And uh, she goes into her mom, who says that she can tell that he likes him, and then she embarrasses the fuck out of her daughter, like, dressed like that, what do you expect, and this and that, and she realizes she fucked up, and Lavinia's upset. Yeah. Benny's out there asking the real questions here. He wants to know if the <laughs> meteorite's radioactive, 
and if it's valuable. <laughs> and Nathan says, it's time to milk the alpacas out of nowhere. And Ward's like, what? <laughs> he then goes to the barn as Nathan gives him a milking lesson on alpacas, which is apparently more difficult than a cow, if you watch. And he wants to know who else is on the property. Ward does. And Nathan tells him they got a squatter named Ezra and says Benny can show him the way and introduce him, but he might not talk to him because he doesn't know him, right? Benny takes Ward, and along the way, we can see that he literally lives in a shack in the woods, but it's surrounded by cameras, all powered by his own solar power. He's off the grid, man. Yep. And we find out that he used to be an electrician, and then he basically turned into like a conspiracy theorist and went off the grid. And Oh, fuck. This is, this is my future. <laughs> <laughs> this is you. Yeah, I thank you every time I watch it. Peyote and all. Uh, <laughs> Tommy Chong's fucking great in this movie, though. I just I just want to say. Uh, he's always been a good actor, you know. Yeah. He, even not playing a stoner, but he, he plays a pretty grounded one in this, I feel like. He does. But Ezra knows exactly who Ward is already and says he knows everything. He's got little birdies everywhere. And he's actually really nice and open to Ward and inviting him in and, like, offering him a drink and talking to him. And I just think it's funny because the dad's like, he's not going to talk to you. He doesn't know you. And he's like, come on in, amigo. <laughs> it's nothing <laughs> like how Nathan said it would be. And uh, he makes Ward a drink. It's like a tea or something using the well water. And it looks nasty as fuck. It looks like cabin fever water. And... Uh, <laughs> Ward thinks it's odd, and he says he ain't touching it. <laughs> and he wants to test it at his camp, and Ezra's like, yeah, whatever. Um, even though it's fresh from, what, Mother Earth's tit or something, he says. Yeah. yeah I start drinking it. But they keep letting him know how fresh the water is, and it's their land, and blah, blah, blah. And we then get a crazy storm start outside with purplish magenta lightning. And Lavinia seems obsessed with it, and Nathan can see colorful explosions popping out of the ground and the meteorite is which was gray and ashen earlier but now it's very active and we can see that the meteorite is actually drawing the lightning to it so the lightning's all slamming into the meteorite charge it up oh yeah who ward samples the water and he finds out basically in scientific terms that that shit's nasty <laughs> right and the test strip even turns magenta which is not one of the colors on the test strip. It's just like, no, nah, fuck you, bitch. You ate the LSD, too. <laughs> There's chlamydia in the water. There's chlamydia in the water. <laughs> Somebody made brown. Get out. <laughs> it's okay. It's a baby Ruth. Yeah, exactly. I was literally thinking that when I said it. <laughs> Which, of course, is a color that none of them can explain. Every time somebody references the lightning or the water or something, they're like, I can't explain the color. <laughs> Which makes so much more sense now when you explain that. Right, right. And I kept saying purple, but I'm really bad, like, mixing some colors together. Like, purple, magenta, I always do that. You know, pink. I, I kept calling it purple pink, which is technically magenta. <laughs> but my brain doesn't work that way. So maybe it's like the, what color do you see the striped dress thing? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, is it the, the, yeah, the black dress or the blue dress, whatever the fuck it was? Well, yeah, it's blue or white, I think. My wife and I see it different and argue about it to this day. Uh, <laughs> anyways, later that night, Ward gets a phone call at his camp, and it's just noise. And then he's startled by a sound in the woods as he looks up around, and we just keep seeing glimpses of something magenta moving through the woods, right? And he's, like, just staring at it, trying to figure out what's going on. And then he's, like, alarmed and jump-scared, basically, by his Jeep cranking on its own. Because he's literally staying at a camp. He just 
brought scientific equipment with him. And he goes up to his Jeep, see what the fuck's going to happen, because he thinks Christine's about to take off, but she shuts off right as he walks up. <laughs> and then his radio comes on, and I believe the official term here is that something fucky's going on. That's scientific. That is slice by slice ific <laughs> something. Man, I don't need to like do episodes on cold medicine. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I sound like shit. I'm deaf in one ear, and I don't make sense. More than normal. <laughs> but the next day, we can see that the meteorite is now missing from their yard, and there's just a giant hole in the earth. And they notice some new magenta plants growing by the well. And we can see a magenta-striped lizard running around on the edge of the well. And I think it's looking at Jack or Jack's looking at that. I don't know. There's a lot of shit with this well and creatures and Jack throughout the movie. <laughs> the news shows up to interview Nathan. And later that night, we can see him watching it with his family as they're prepping <laughs> for dinner. Great. And he's, It's so great. He's fucking pissed because his hair is like messed up. And he's like, could nobody hand me a fucking comb before I went out there? And we can see that he rambled on and on with the reporter with his crazy hair. And he just sounded crazy and he looked crazy. And the reporter keeps saying that he's describing a UFO and he's getting mad. He's like, I never said UFO. You said UFO. (laughs) And when he's talking about, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a color. We didn't, you know, we couldn't explain it. And she's like, sir, have you been drinking? And then he starts to overshare about this bourbon he has from a small like brewery in Texas. (laughs) And and, uh, he's like, I look like a crazy person. It basically looks like they found the random drunk guy from Florida. Yes. Right, and, and interviewed him, and I, it's one of my fucking favorite comedic parts of this film. Sorry, guys, I just had a bit of a, a coughing spill. I edited it out, so I probably sound worse. Uh, during all of this, though, mom is chopping vegetables while watching the news, which, don't ever do that. <laughs> Watch cartoons. But we can, yeah, yeah, we can slowly see her drifting off into space. <laughs> As Jack goes to get his mom... To, I don't know, make fun of dad on TV or something. She slices off some of her fingers, though, and sprays Jack with blood. And Nathan has to rush his wife to the ER in town, which we heard earlier is not that close. And he leaves Benny in charge because he's the man of the house. And uh, important thing here, he tells Benny to make sure he feeds and puts up the alpacas. Over the next little bit of this movie, though, we really do not have a good idea of how much time is passing by. And this is intentional because neither do the characters in the film. Exactly. Well, the the kids at home. We don't really see the parents here. We keep hearing odd whistling sounds and seeing our characters waking up from sleep with headaches and passing back out. They're in different rooms every time, which makes you think several days is going on. It's kind of weird. The animals are all up drinking well water and they're eating all of the new magenta plants that are growing around the property. And we can see the alpacas out, which Benny fed and put up already we saw we saw him do that through all this scene and then he like goes in the house and then he hears a noise and he looks and they're out again right and there's just weird shit going on and it's confusing and you're descending into madness we but jack's just whistling the tune we heard josh do earlier um and we've heard other people doing it and we've just heard it in the background as a sound effect it's just kind of been like an ongoing ambience and he tells Lavinia that there's a man in the well talking to him. And she starts to get dizzy and tired and heads back into the house. And she starts to hear the sound herself coming from the well. So she's like, my brother's not crazy. We all are. You know? <laughs> and we basically just see all three of them dive into madness. In the house, Lavinia gets a phone call from her dad, but it's distorted and messed up. And he's basically yelling at her. We can see that Nathan actually did call her, but on his end, he couldn't hear anything. 
right? Nope. It's not what we heard on Lavinia's side. We can see that there is still more magenta shit growing everywhere, and Jack is obsessed with the well, and he keeps hearing the noise, and he keeps drawing shit with his purple crayons, or they might have been magenta, I don't fucking know. It's right here, clear as purple crayon. <laughs> right. <laughs> he finally looks into the well, and we can see that the purple meteorite is actually in the bottom of the well. It moved somehow, and it's pulsating, and then it starts to hatch like an egg. And a purple winged praying mantis thing flies out, and it's uh, it's freaky as fuck. Kill the fire. I'm glad you said praying mantis thing because that's what it is. It's well, it's fucked up, but it's kind of cute. I mean, it's kind of cute. It's praying mantis with wings and about sixty seven extra eyeballs. And <laughs> I mean, I think I'd, it had a tongue. Yeah, yeah. I would if that happened to me. I would comment on how adorable it was before I killed it. I mean, right, right. Like respect nature and shit. But uh, Jack sees it, looks at it. It looks at him and it flies off. They're cool. It's like a fucking Disney princess and a fucking hummingbird coming by. Because this is very much like a Disney story. No. But this is our first glimpse at an otherworldly creature, I guess. And we can see that everything's happening because of the contaminated well water. And that's why I don't drink well water. (laughs) Over the next bit, we get uh, another odd loss of time with the sound, the whistling, the lights, the... The water now has the magenta tint to it when they run it in the house. Lavinia gets some more odd phone calls. They're all losing their shit. And Ward comes by the house and tells them not to drink the water because it's contaminated. And he sent it off to the lab at, might have been Miskatonic University. I don't remember. He sent it somewhere Lovecraftian. (laughs) We know it's too late, though, because she's been fucking puking everywhere like she's pregnant. (laughs) And he, which is not a plot point. I just said it that way just because often she's puking. But he sees Jack's acting odd by the well. And Jack's like, oh, I'm just playing with my friends. And uh, Ward then goes to warn Ezra. And Ezra has got, like, fucking war paint on and fingernail (laughs) polish. And he's way into the peyote at this point. And uh, he's monitoring the ground for sounds. And he's recording it to Memorex because nobody's going to believe him if he doesn't get it on Memorex. (laughs) And... um, Ward notices that Ezra's cat we saw earlier is missing, and Ezra said that he disappeared after the aliens in the ground started. And, yeah, I mean, there's a peyote joke right there. Um, (laughs) He starts to explain time dilation to Ward and what's going on and stuff like that, and he sounds crazy. He looks even fucking crazier with his body paint and shit, but everything he's telling you is 100% correct, and he's figured it out. Yes. And uh, Ward says that he'll let Ezra know if he sees G-Spot, his cat, and Ezra says he might see her, but he might not recognize her. And we can see that Ward is also off in his time a bit because he says, like, what time of day it is, and, and Ezra's like, bro, it's it's actually already this time. I don't even remember specifically what it is, yeah. but like, Ward doesn't know what's going on either, and he's not even drinking the water. Nope. But we then cut to Nathan and Teresa as they're driving home, and we find out that the surgery was successful and that her digits were all reattached. But then they almost hit a now mutant version of G-Spot the cat, who's evil as fuck. Chupacabra. I wish the Chupacabra would have looked like this at Halloween Horror Nights. (laughs) That's immediately what I thought when I was rewatching this last night was, hey, (laughs) Chupacabra. But, uh... But Jack is still sitting by the well. We can see that he's now hypnotized by the lights coming out of the well. And Lavinia tries to hide in her room, drowning out the sound that she's like just hearing just coming in so loud in her ears with music and it's not working. 
And she goes to check on Benny and finds his computer's all messed up and pulsating to the whistle sound she hears until she shuts it off. And Benny comes in and says that he got mentally lost outside earlier and doesn't know how to explain it. (laughs) And he says he went out during the day when he heard Sam with Jack, and then it was nighttime, and he doesn't know what happened. And then their mom and dad call again, and they still can't understand it. I think dad goes super evil on the phone this time. And then there's some more weird sounds and house shaking, and they realize Jack's missing. And then we cut to mom and dad pulling up at the house and running into them. And mom and dad get pissed at Benny and Lavinia because they didn't do what they're supposed to do. They start trying to explain the loss of time, the sounds. Dad's not dealing with their shit. And he's mad because the alpacas are out and not fed. Goddamn alpacas. <laughs> right. Which we've seen Benny put them up like five times at this yes, point. That's all he's been doing for and, fucking days. He just gets up, puts yeah. up the alpacas. <laughs> Wakes up in his bed, does it again. It's like fucking Groundhog's Day. <laughs> But they try to warn their dad, but they're not really sure what they're warning him about. Yeah. Because they just know something's weird. And we gather that, like, this might even be the same day. At most, it was overnight. Yeah. Like in like in the real world. Yeah, in the real world. <laughs> but, I mean, watching this shit, it was at least a week. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. But Nathan starts looking for Sam pissed, and he starts talking to himself about needing help. And then he starts talking in this weird, overacting voice and goes off on his kids yelling. And they know he's acting weird and he's acting like someone else. And I'll say that Cage's crazy acting's off the chain here. Yeah. And Lavinia tells Benny that they need to get the hell out of here. And um, I, I think I skipped over it earlier, but there's a point in time where he's making fun of his dad and the farm and he starts talking to his wife and acting like his dad. And it's this voice. So, you know. Yeah, this voice is his dad's voice. So it's like he's turning into his dad, which earlier he's like, oh, no, I'm turning into my dad. And like, I guess that's like something he's scared of. So he's like literally turning into his dad now. What if what if our true heavenly father came from space, Jesse? What if they're just returning? Is this like a Scientology thing or no, no, no. That's way more fucked up than this. But inside, Teresa's hanging out with Jack as he keeps drawing weird creatures for and other shit like that. And Nathan comes in for a shower and he sees something weird in the drain and picks it up and he's holding it. And it's what I can only explain as a small jellyfish. Yeah. And then, and then it stings him like a jellyfish. And he tells his wife that they need to call a fucking plumber or an exterminator. Drains got shit growing in them. Jack asks his mom if Sam is with Grandpa now, and she says, no, 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 Grandpa's in heaven, which, yeah, yeah, that's what Jack was getting at. And um, Nathan comes in bitching about the smell, and she's like, finally looks at him like, what smell? And he breaks into the weird voice again, saying the smell is like the cancer ward where his father was at. She should know all about that shit with the onions and the chemicals. And he's just being an ass at all times when he uses this voice. We can see that the whole environment has been affected. There are purple plants fucking everywhere now. All the wildlife has like purple tints to it and has been eating the shit. Um, We can see Nathan picking up large fruit that he said, oh, it grew a month early and look how big they are or something like that. And he calls them peaches, but they don't look like peaches to me. Well, he's got tomatoes and peaches. Yeah, he just he keeps talking about the peaches, though, and I'm like, none of that. <laughs> but um, Teresa's working upstairs. She has some more dropped calls, and Nathan comes into the kitchen to fix the dishes, and she starts getting quite angry at him, and he's just shoveling bites of different fruit into his mouth and spitting it out and biting a new one and spitting it out. 
And uh, he gets angry that he followed every fucking rule and they still taste like shit. And his wife starts to yell at him about the goddamn internet and he needs to fix the fucking dish. And they're just screaming and you can tell they're all going mad. And then she's like, I'm going to bed. Fix the dish. And he's like, <laughs> sure thing, dear. I'll get right on it. Like he turns normal out of nowhere, right? Like it's just maddening. Yeah, and she's not like having YouTube withdrawals. She's like a financial planner or financial advisor. She yeah. she's needs to be on the internet, and she's like totally abandoning her clients and shit with their podunk fucking HughesNet. <laughs> and uh, her like deep, angry, going crazy voice is fucking awesome to me. It's just really funny. <laughs> she's like oh, going yeah. off on him. Yeah, that's like cut you in your sleep type lady. Yeah. <laughs> but that night, Nathan's drinking some of his Texas bourbon we heard so much about while watching TV and the TV's fading in and out with the color. And uh, he starts talking to a picture of his dead dad, which actually a picture of H.P. Lovecraft's best friend who co-wrote Call of Cthulhu, I believe it was, with him. Oh, no shit. Yeah, it's one of the guys that helped him write a Cthulhu story or, or helped him create Cthulhu. So they stuck him in there as as Nathan's dad. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if he was a racist or a Nazi, though. <laughs> so, you can't tell these people in these black and white photos sometimes. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, guys. Uh, <laughs> but we can also see that Lavinia is upstairs packing all her shit because she's got to get out of here, making sure she packs the fucking Necronomicon. Of course. But Jack wakes up in the middle of the night only to find his dad asleep, just like absorbing the, the color of the light coming out of the TV. Like it's just going into his body, right? It's like radiating out. And he goes out front to find Benny just randomly sitting on the porch, staring at the fog, which is now the, also the color. And this is all normal to them. Like the kids are just like, I've been fucking living this shit for six months. Where you been at dad? <laughs> I don't need you dad. Um, <laughs> I got out. Meanwhile, yeah. Meanwhile, Lavinia is using the Necronomicon to do a ritual for her own protection. And all seems normal. Well, normal for her until she breaks out a box cutter and starts to carve symbols into her flesh. Like everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Jack and Benny hear something in the barn and they go to check that out while Teresa randomly wakes up and goes looking for Jack. And in the barn, we can see that all of the alpacas have melted into this John Carpenter's The Thing type cuddle puddle. And there is... Magenta smoke coming out of the bodies and purple light coming out of the bodies. And I'm just going to keep mixing up these colors. And the color starts to come out and chase like a like Darth Sidious Emperor Palpatine force lightning out of the barn, chasing him down. Yeah, yeah. And Benny and Jack run. Jack splits off and runs into his mother's arms, only for the two of them to be struck by the magenta lightning. And they merge into this one disgusted, pain-inflicted being. Josh thought I was going to be on this next little bit for a while describing it, but just think John Carpenter's The Thing, and you got it. This Reddit user guy that did this movie, <laughs> if they remake The Thing, he needs to do the practical effects. They. You also need to be thinking at this point in the movie that, you know, what What did the crazy, what's, what's his name, Ezra in the shed? Um, yeah. What did he say? If you see G-Spot, you won't recognize her. Yeah. yeah there's some we, kind we saw G-Spot, we didn't recognize her. Yes. There is some kind of assimilation that is definitely taking place at this point. Yeah. And uh, at this point, I'm going to call it the third act. Holy shit. 
Holy shit. I'm going to blow through most of this quickly because, like I said, the movie gets very visual. And me explaining it's not going to do it justice. And if you've only read the story or never read the story and not seen this movie, no matter what, just watch it. It's fucking good and crazy and weird and visually disgusting and appealing at the same time. <laughs> but basically, none of the phones work. Like, no landline, no cell phone. They can't call 911. They can't start the car. It won't work. He sets out there, Nathan, for like a god-awful amount of time trying to get the car cranked. Could have been six years. Could have been five minutes. We don't know. <laughs> and we can see that Lavinia is okay with all of her wounds now, but strolled by her mother regularly, which if you saw this fucking meld of, of Jack and Teresa, it's weird. And they're like melded at the spine and they're making these weird noises. And basically mom's devouring the sun. Yeah. And they're like fucking glowing with the light under their skin and shit. Yeah, I mean, the, the practical effects are fucking phenomenal. I keep seeing things referenced like low budget for effects. Like, they didn't give them a lot, and it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, it keeps you going back and forth between, damn, this is, like, heartbreaking to, yeah. whoa, this is really fucked up. And, like, you're trying to go back and forth between, is it more heartbreaking or is it more fucked up? I think it's more fucked up, which makes the heartbreaking part more fucked right. up. <laughs> but... Nick Cage continues to be Nick Cage. There's more magenta plants. There's more magenta fog. There's more magenta lights. Just keeps happening. Lavinia thinks that Teresa is absorbing Jack and reassimilating him into her body. See, my own notes said it better. If I would have got ahead of myself. And <laughs> Benny knows that time is off like they're near a black hole, right? Because he's all big in the star charts and shit, right? Yep. Jack and Teresa are obviously in constant pain, and we can now see that the sun burns their fucking skin like they're vampires, and they have to move to the attic, which has a window also, but maybe, I don't know. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> it had an Amityville horror window, but maybe it's at an angle where it doesn't, because they do put them like under the need or the slant or whatever, yeah. right? But Lavinia's trying to take care of them and give them water and make them drink it, and... We can see that Nathan starts to slightly come to his senses for some reason. All I can think is because he switched the water for bourbon and he only likes to put like two ice cubes in there. So he was getting very low doses of the water at this point. He's microdosing at this point. He's, he's microdosing the, uh, the fucking Cthulhu, <laughs> the purple threads. <laughs> yeah. But he loads a shotgun like he's going to put his wife and son out of their misery but then he hits up the alpacas in the barn first, and he takes all of them out. And it's he's just screaming and shooting. There's blood splattering everywhere, and he's <laughs> fucking popping their heads like zits. <laughs> After having another breakdown, Nathan comes up to the attic, and he sends Lavinia and Benny downstairs. And he said that he's done his best, and he points the gun at his wife. So you're like, okay, this is the end of the movie. Nathan's going to save the day. He's going to do the right thing here. Then he decides to kiss his wife, and there's this, like, Purple slime shit in between their lips. And, it's like, and um, he says that she's still a special lady and he's going to go find her some help and they're going to go on that trip like they always planned. We can see that Ward visits the mayor who does not give a shit about any contaminated water and the sheriff shows him, because like I said, he's like the closest thing they have to a doctor or scientist there, shows him some weird, dead, mutant, cuddle puddle animal thing where all the animals from the town have merged and. G spots in there somewhere, I think, and birds, and it's fucking weird. And uh, the sheriff says they were all found near the Gardner farm. And Ward says that it looks like radiation burns all over their body. And we cut to the farm, and we can see that Lavinia decided to make a run for it on Comet and try to get help. 
Yep. The horsepower of the cars might not be working, but the horsepower of the horse might prevail, right? One horsepower. <laughs> One horsepower. Um, <laughs> but Comet says, fuck this, and he runs off and leaves her ass, and Lavinia and Benny are going to have to walk it, but they're like miles of like uncut terrain, blah, 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 we'll fucking die. And <laughs> Benny then thinks he hears Sam from the well, and he's like, oh, I got to go save the fucking dog. And she's like, he's a dog, let him go. And he's like, no, no, no I just got to climb down here and get him. <laughs> and uh, nobody holds up the bad idea sign. So he, of course, crawls, falls, and gets nuked by purple radiation at the bottom of the well. And he does put on Grandpa's goggles, though, as the trippy light starts to melt and eat him and we actually see some like cthulhu like tentacles yes in the light right lavinia then gets snatched up by nathan who's talking like his dad again and he drags her up into the attic and he tells her it's time for her to feed her mother but what he means is feed her to her mother yes we cut to the sheriff and ward and they see comet running down the road and they're like oh fuck what's going on at the gardeners so they rush to the gardener's house and they show up while Nathan is drinking bourbon and watching TV, and he's talking to Teresa like she's there, like he's talking to a spot on the couch, and she's clearly not there. And he's just getting consumed by the uh, the purple light. Like, it just keeps happening, right? That's his, that's his go-to is hang out in the living room and watch TV and drink bourbon. And we cut up to the attic again, and we can see that the mom has mostly assimilated with the with the, with the son or the brother, depending on how you're looking at it. And they basically turned into a giant spider monster with two heads. Yep. And is definitely inspired by the thing. Again, yep. And it looks amazing. Some of the best practical effects I've seen in just a long fucking it's time. creepy as fuck when it, when it rushes her and is on top of her oh, and yeah. making the face. Teresa's yelling at her and growling and shit. Yeah. yeah. But um, the sheriff and ward noticed that Nathan's covered in rashes all over his body and blood. And then there's some shit's up. So they want to know where everyone's at. And he says, they're all here. And he points at the couch like they're all watching TV. And he says, well, except for Benny. Benny lives in the well now. <laughs> <laughs> and then they hear Lavinia screaming like a death scream up in the attic. And they run up to see her. And they are, of course, disturbed by the creature. And we see, this is where you're talking about, like, the faces on mom's head getting all up in Lavinia's face. Like, it's about to eat her. And then the fucking head is just explodes. It's, it's blown up by what we think is the sheriff saving Lavinia, but it was Nathan coming to his senses again and running up with the gun, right? Yep. He then mercy kills his son, Jack, and says that they're not his family. And the corpses, of course, have purple blood, right? Ward tries to pick up and carry Lavinia outside, and they're stopped by the purple light coming out of the well, and it's doing the tentacle thing again. And Nathan pulls up his gun towards the well, but for some reason, the sheriff thinks he's pointing it at Ward. So the sheriff then shoots Nathan is how I took it. But I don't think Nathan was trying to shoot Ward. I don't think he was either, but that's just how the sheriff thought it was going down. Yeah. So the sheriff did that. Maybe he, you know, drank some well water or something. He sipped on the bourbon with the ice. I don't know. And uh, the dad dies in her arms saying some crazy shit. And the sheriff can't get a call out on his radio now that he's on the property. Right. And he says they got a roll, and Lavinia says that thing won't let us do that. And they start to hear a loud noise coming from Ezra's cabin, and they're like, oh, shit, we got to go check with Ezra. We can't leave him here. And Lavinia's like, I'm not going to leave my dad. And Ward lets her know that she can't stay here. I live here. They find Ezra in his shack, and he's basically a burned-up husk is the best way I could explain it, right? Yeah. And um, 
his reel-to-reel, the Memorax, uh, is playing from we recorded something. And he explains everything. Something from out of space, in the water, and it fed on all of them, right? Like, like it's eating and devouring. Their sanity is how I took it. But he says it's, it's eating them. He then goes nuclear and explodes as the recording finishes by saying that it's a color that can't be explained and it burns. <laughs> they run out before he blows and uh, ward the sheriff. They actually did make it out of the shack. I guess I should have said they cool guys will look at explosion out of there. And a purple tentacle comes out of the trees and grabs the sheriff. And we can see that it kills him. He's gone. And Ward runs back to the farm and finds Lavinia at the well looking at the purple light. And she says that it's so beautiful and turns to him and, and her eyes start to glow the color. And she starts to lock eyes with him. And he can basically see the origins of the entity and where it came from and how it traveled through space as he looks through her eyes. It's yes. kind of weird. I, I usually hate it when movies do this as like the explanation, but I don't know. It kind of worked. It was like the entity wanted someone to tell the tale, right? Yes. Because like once they go completely crazy and they're glowing, you know that they're now part of this being is how I took it. Exactly. And that's what Ezra meant by feeding on them, right? Like it, it devours them and now they're part of him. It's assimilated. I think maybe the mom and the son are trying to show us what the thing is doing. You all become one with it. Yes, but I, when we get to the end, there's a thing I want to talk about with them, too, specifically. Okay. But, but we'll get to it. But, yeah, I mean, it, its home world is basically a surreal purple world with weird fucking creatures from, like, a video game. And uh, Ward falls down on the brink of insanity as the blades of grass start to wrap around him and try to pull him to the ground. And, and basically, like, the land's going to eat him at this point. And... He watches Lavinia as she starts to charge up to explode, and then this fucking purple tornado comes out of the well, and all the energy seems to gather in one spot like it's a nexus from, like, the whole fucking farm, and she disintegrates, and he manages to crawl into the house, which is now glowing also, and Nathan is sitting in there, all bloody, watching TV with glowing eyes, and... Like, Ward can hear the voices of all the family members. Like, they're sitting in there watching TV with them. Yeah. And he can see flashes of light. And he can kind of see, like, silhouettes of the family. And Nathan gets up and run for him, doing this crazy, like, zombie wavy walk thing. And then there's this weird motion blur effect around him. And he's just, like, shifting everywhere. It's kind of nauseating. And uh, somewhere in there, Ward's like, but you're fucking dead, you know. Ward fights Nathan off and makes it into the earlier foreshadowed basement, which must be a pretty good storm shelter because... It survives the gigantic nuclear explosion of the magenta light in this area, right? The screen goes white. We can see like a shockwave, like the woods. It's like Miles gets nuked out yeah, of existence. It's like right? Raccoon the white City. Ash. Yeah, it's, it's fucking gone. And then we see like everything's white, like in the area. And the white ash moves and Ward climbs up out of the basement. He survived. And an overhead shot just shows us that everything's fucking gone. And he finds Grandpa's compass that Lavinia had and takes it with him as like a memory of her, which I don't remember her showing it to him, but it, it's like he knew it was hers. Yeah, that was odd. There's probably a cut scene somewhere. Um, we then get his voiceover again as he says that he hopes the damn water that covers this place will be very deep. But then again, he will still never drink it. <laughs> we can see him smoking a cigarette on the dam that will soon flood the valley and... Uh, Throws the cigarette in the water and stares at it floating there. And he says there are only a few that remember what happened here and that it can never be quantified or understood by human science. It was just a color out of space. 
He explains that the color was just a messenger from space whose very existence stuns the brain. Basically an elder core driving you mad. The end. Oh yeah, and the bug's still flying around. Yes. It made it. <laughs> the brain mantis. <laughs> but yeah, that was the color out of space. Interesting perspective on the story being told directly by the family instead of secondhand while still having the secondhand narration. Cast was chosen phenomenally. The special effects were amazing. The descent into madness was awesome because it really is confusing on the time dilation. Yeah. And I mean, that sells insanity to me and being uncomfortable in a film very well because it's kind of hard to show going mad. But like just seeing mom and dad not there and realizing that they've only been gone a few hours and then seeing the week that we just saw with the kids, you know, like it's just, it's fucking, it's really well edited, well-made movie. I really think it did the short story justice. I would have loved to have seen Richard Stanley's whole trilogy. Yeah. I wish filmmakers would stop being assholes <laughs> or people in general. And yeah, people in general, but like, you know, we keep getting teased with these, like could be a new great movie franchise or just a great, filmmaker to start bringing us new and original stuff and then they end up being like a fucking piece of shit and uh yeah yeah it's really harsh <laughs> in my buzz here off my cough syrup but uh i i enjoyed the movie i had never seen it um i thought mandy was okay a lot of people loved mandy i mean i started seeing best horror movie of the decade it was fun i watched it once i'll probably never watch it again it kind of turned me off a little bit to make sure I went and saw this movie during a pandemic, like when I had so much shit to do for like work and other things I was trying to get caught up on. And, and I, I purposely put it on the back burner to watch for this episode. And I just kept hearing about it and hearing about it. And, and my original film for this episode was in the mouth of madness by John Carpenter. No surprise. I'm a huge fan of his. And <laughs> when I wrote down Cosmic Horror four years ago it was so I could cover that movie. And I actually watched this movie and then almost swapped the movie. I went and watched In the Mouth of Madness and started taking notes on it. Right. Like oh, to damn. swap my movie. Cause, well, because to, to Josh, all he's got to do is watch a movie once, right? Like he doesn't have to take notes on it. And I was like, no, this is, this was a really well done, like original flick. And uh, I wanted to cover it while it was relevant. And I really liked it. And uh, I don't know. I want to see some more Lovecraft shit like this. So uh, what are your thoughts on it? I liked it. I saw it once when it came out and it was like, eh, and then didn't watch it again until literally last night for this episode. Okay. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I, I like the storytelling or I grasp the storytelling better now. And, uh, right. The, the second watch, I started picking it apart. And the, the part that I wanted to come back to real quick is, uh, so when Nick Cage shoots the attic monster and, and he says, yeah. says, it's not my family. I really think, and I could be completely wrong, but I'm starting to think that Nick Cage is actually holding it together better than anyone else in the movie while being, no, he is, yeah. while being massively quote unquote infected. And it's just yeah. the struggle of him going from these different mindsets. But I think in that moment when he says, that's not my family, that's the aliens or the other thing saying that it's not my family. It was a failed assimilation not Nick Cage as a father hmm. saying that creature was not my family. Interesting. It could be interpreted as that. I mean, I, I took it literally as Nick Cage coming to his senses and like he realized that his family was taken from him now and assimilated with the thing. But it definitely could go either way. And 
We'd have to have the story creators tell us, right? Exactly. Well, because when we get to the living room and it's like, does the flashes of the family be in there? And Nick Cage kept going back yeah. to sit in his chair and watch the TV. And he's like, the family's right here. And it does the whole blurry interdimensional thing. Like, yeah, I feel like their essence is actually trapped there. And that's 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 a, a representation of him trying to hold it all together while these offshoots of interdimensional entanglement are happening around them. Yeah. Now, that's probably my brain going way off into that area because of the movie I did. But it really does that, that <laughs> one line of like because even because it does. It's a brutal shot, man, because he puts a shotgun to the sun's head and the sun literally goes, daddy. And then he fucking blows his brains yeah. out like that's like, oh, my God. And then before you can think, he's like, that's not my family. Like what? <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's definitely an interesting perspective of it. So you guys email us and let us know your thoughts on on which way that could have gone because that's yeah definitely open for interpretation i just want to say like like ended on a note that nick cage gets made fun of for being crazy sometimes but he really is and has always been a great actor he does get weird sometimes but i, don't know, I thought this movie was another good showcase of him being a good actor well that that's the joke like that you know when you see when you see nicholas cage in a serious grounded role that's nicholas coppola and when you see nick cage <laughs> being nick cage that's nick cage right right <laughs> But even Nick Cage is a, just a phenomenal actor. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, Nick Cage has never been guilty of not turning down a part, right? Like, he, he will act anytime you ask him to. Oh, we yeah. could probably get him in a movie. <laughs> well, I don't know right now. He's still kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> He'd still do it. That, that's always been his thing, man. He'll take any job. Even if he doesn't need the money, he'll do it. He just likes, the guy just likes to fucking act. Yeah. Um, and he brought his, his A game, his crazy game here, and we got to see a really fucking weird and crazy movie we did and uh it, it was good to see something like that um and it, it just makes me think of anytime i watch a weird movie and i try to judge it on a scale i always go back to when i saw event horizon for the first time and i rented it from blockbuster and that was the fucking weirdest thing i'd ever seen and freaked me and my buddy jared out because we were like teenagers in the 90s and uh rewinding it like was that an orgy you know and like, like just being confused because he was a star trek nerd and we thought we were watching a sci-fi movie and didn't know any better and uh so yeah josh take me back to my childhood with 1997's event horizon all right so i didn't have the luxury of seeing this film back in the 90s i didn't watch this film until i met my wife and uh oh. have since seen it probably close to 10 times um, it's another one of the ones that just gets put in at least once a year. So this was uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who uh, many people forget Mortal Kombat. No one forgets <laughs> all the Resident Evil movies. Um, he got <laughs> Alien versus Predator in there and more recently Monster Hunter, along with more Resident Evil movies. Right. Anything with his wife, Mila Jovovich, in it. Yes. And my mind was fucking blown when I went to watch this for the podcast because I haven't seen this since the 90s, maybe early 2000 at best. Okay. I didn't know the fuck Paul W.S. Anderson was then. And when I went to watch this for the podcast a couple months ago, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, my mind was blown. That'd be like finding out Juve Bowl made a like fucking Oscar nominated film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was written by Philip Eisner, who didn't mm -hmm. write much. I mean, Firestarter to the TV miniseries. And that's about it. We've got... Uh, a small cast, which I'm going to go through the majority of. Lawrence Fishburne as Miller, who, of course, we've talked about before. Morpheus in the Matrix. Larry Fishburne yeah. in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got 
Sam Neill as Weir. Oh, yeah. Which, of course, everybody, Jurassic Park. But don't forget, yeah. In the Mouth of Madness and a, a couple other genre-ish flicks in there and like 147 more credits to his name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kathleen Quinlan as Peters. Got her start in American Graffiti. She was in Twilight Zone, the movie, The Hills Have Eyes remake. She's been in mm -hmm. a fuck ton of shit. Jolie Richardson as Stark. We just talked about her. <laughs> yep. We've got Richard T. Jones as Cooper, who has not really done a lot of genre stuff, but he was in 2014's Godzilla. Um, okay. And his character is necessary in this film, but it gets heavy-handed in parts as far as that outside voice. Jack Noseworthy is Justin, who will <laughs> always be Randy from Idle Hands. True, but I always think of him from the show that MTV made when we were teenagers called Dead at 21. Oh, I don't remember the show, but I remember the name. Yeah, so he was the star of that. So he's like the one that like might live from the experiment trying to get away. And that's the first thing I ever saw him in. And okay. then he was in Idle Hands and Brady Bunch and shit. Because he's the, he's the same character in Brady Bunch that he is in Idle Hands. It's fucking hilarious. Gotcha. And to round out the people that get their own mention in the opening is fucking Sean Pertwee as Smith. Because mm. he was in fucking Dog Soldiers and a bazillion <laughs> other things. But we've talked yeah. about him before. Him, Lawrence Fishburne, and Sam Neill, the like most famous people in this movie, I'd say. Yes. And uh, I always like to point out his dad was the third Doctor on Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. And he plays his dad in flashbacks on the anniversary episodes and shit. Oh, that's dope. It's pretty cool. All right. <laughs> so about Event Horizon. A rescue crew investigates a spaceship that disappeared into a black hole and has now returned with someone or something new on board. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like you could end any log line with that, by the way. <laughs> I, I'm going to go ahead and get mad. Okay. It's not a black hole. It's a wormhole. But tomato, potato. But more on that later. <laughs> so a little bit about how this flick came into being. So Anderson was sent the script like soon after the success of Mortal Kombat. Oh, this was after Mortal Kombat? Yes. God, man. The 90s were weird. <laughs> The 90s moved fast, man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was originally a full-blown alien sci-fi flick, and Anderson wanted to twist it into a ghost story. So that's what he did. It was an 86-day shoot shot at uh, Pinewood Studios, the legendary Pinewood oh. Studios, mostly on the 007 stage. Star Wars, nothing <laughs> but Star Wars. Yes, Star Wars, legend, a lot of shit. <laughs> So the movie's basically Hellraiser meets Alien meets The Haunting tied together with Lovecraftian themes and nods to 1972's Solaris and a little bit of a nod to The Shining. Okay. It very much has a Hellraiser look and feel to it when yes. they show Josh's term, hell stuff, <laughs> and Alien when they show space stuff. It's really interesting to me because I saw this movie, like I said, we read it at Blockbuster and watched it. And I mean, it was 97 or 98, so I would have been 15 or 16. We didn't really know what the fuck was going on. And I watched it maybe one other time after that and maybe again early 20s. But like, I didn't watch it a whole lot and my movie knowledge wasn't as strong. But rewatching it, like like all the hell stuff, like you said, it's straight up Hellraiser. Yeah. And it is the only movie to grasp a crew stuck in space like alien that I've ever seen. Like it's the closest to alien I've ever seen a movie get. And I didn't notice that until I watched it the second time for the podcast the other day. So I watched this twice total in the past few months. And I was like, this fucking feels like alien, man. And nobody's ever been able to pull that off. What was that movie? Like pandemonium or something like that. It was like a weird movie kind of like this. Yeah. And uh, it, it couldn't do it. Right. And it's just like, it, it's very much Hellraiser and alien. I'm glad you said that. Cause it, I didn't, 
put it together in my head, but that is fucking what it is. Well, here's why. The DP, Adrian Biddle, was also the DP on Alien. The okay. costume designer, John Mallow, was also the costume designer on Alien. Okay. Bob Keane worked animatronics on this movie, <laughs> but before that, he worked on Alien and the first three Hellraiser movies. Yeah. So, you know, he also worked on Star Wars and would later go on to work on Dog Soldiers. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> there's a big chunk of that right that's there. awesome. And that's what Anderson wanted. He, he basically wanted to take these things and mash them all together in space. Lead makeup was Pauline Hayes, who I'm only bringing up because she worked on Legend. Okay. And I fucking love that movie. It's no surprise, especially back then, that uh, Anderson really liked his, I'm going to call it techno music. So he wanted the band Orbital to come in and score this movie. And Paramount said, fuck no. <laughs> You're going to use an orchestra. So he had Orbital come in and they went with uh, uh, Michael Kamen. And recorded a traditional orchestra, but the guys from Orbital recorded their own things from the orchestra and sampled them so they could go okay. back and make their own versions of it, which very little got into the movie from them. But hey, at least they tried to play well with others. The approach for the visual effects was the idea of in-camera first, compositing second, and CGI touch-up third. So there is CGI. I yes. wasn't sure if CGI was a thing for horror movies yet in 97. The touch-up stuff is beautiful and holds up great. The dedicated CGI stuff, not so much. Okay. But they did try not to rely on it, but by the end, they were trying to force in more and more effect shots and more and more effects touch-up. I mean, this was one of those, like, right up until the moment of a release, didn't have all the digital work done. Okay. That's more common than you think, though. True. They did a lot of wire work in this movie for the zero gravity. And uh, Anderson was smart enough that they built little miniature sets and they were using action figures and like lipstick cameras. And so they would okay. they do all their blocking and everything on the little the little bitty toy set and figure out how to do all of it and then go shoot it for real on the wire rigs because they didn't have the time or money to do it over and over again for real. The thing with him is... He knows what he's doing. He's not a bad director. No. He just, he makes like blockbuster check the box movies is his problem. <laughs> I, I think, I think when he like, you can tell he knows what he's fucking doing, but you could also tell that he's like, I'm just going to make a generic movie that's going to make a bunch of money. Yes. Except for really this and Mortal Kombat. Like Mortal Kombat really felt like it was trying to pull the story out of the video game. Yeah, a little bit. And this felt like I want a haunted house hellscape movie set in space. And, and nobody's going to stop me. And the studio kind of stopped him, but we'll get into that. So by the time we get to the rushed screening for the executives and everybody, they got an incomplete yet still two hours and 10 minutes long cut of the movie. And it didn't go well because half of it was effect shot goes here. <laughs> I could see that being a problem. So they cut uh, a lot of the gore shots got cut. The murder orgy got heavily cut. The multiple endings got cut, hmm. and this is what they had to do to get away from the X rating that they were originally given upon first screening. So of their $60 million budget, they made back $42 million, so it was an absolute fucking failure. But once it was released on DVD, it sold so well that Paramount actually contacted Anderson to come, come to them to do a director's cut and re-release the movie. Oh. All the original film stock's been lost. Oh, shit. So that never happened? Okay. There is allegedly a VHS tape with all the additional footage, including the alternate endings, but Anderson says it's never 
or Anderson says it exists, but it's never surfaced. Damn. Something uh, to put your, your budget into perspective here. I, I forgot to say, you know, I'm really bad at seeing budgets on my movies. <laughs> the The budget for Color Out of Space was estimated 6 to $12 million. Oh, it's teeny today. It's teeny today, but like sixty million in '97. I know. Movie. And then think of how much effects are in Color to Space. Like that's impressive. It, it is. is. Fuck. If I read right and I remember right, I think Color to Space only made a million dollars at the box office. Oh wow! But it came out during COVID in 2020. Yeah. That was a big streaming movie. So hopefully it did SpectraVision some good or something. I'm sure Shutter <laughs> made bank off of it. Anyways, anyways, continue to to wow me, friend. The uh, the last little weird thing about this film that I ran across was that it has actually been adopted as the official prequel to Warhammer 40K, mm, which I'm really? not into. But from what I read, it's the idea of the ship that opened the wormhole that set everything in motion in that universe. That so it's not official at all, but it has been adopted as such. A, a question I have for you, and if it's in here, I'm sorry, but I've been wondering this the whole time, and I refuse to Google it because I'm going <laughs> to learn from you. Did they set out to make a Lovecraftian film anywhere in here, or has it just been accepted as that by the people? It has basically been accepted as that by the people. It pulled more from Solaris and Alien and Hellraiser than anything else. I mean, this movie is referenced and listed in like tier list of cosmic horror lovecraftian films so much that up until a few years ago when i started really actively researching things i always assumed this was an adaptation of a lovecraftian story i thought it was too at, at some point i mean obviously they didn't have spaceships and shit when he wrote books but like i thought maybe they took like a some fucking pilgrims out at sea and you know what i mean or something yeah and then i was like uh you know i found out you know five ten years ago or whatever this wasn't adapt adapted from it but it is always considered to be Lovecraftian, that's that's fucking. But that's the thing is, it's the the theme of what's just on the other side of the veil that you never get to see. You only, like I said earlier, uh, needle holes, and you barely get yeah. to see. And then the whole idea of personal hell and personal torment for each character—that's way more Hellraiser. I mean, I, honestly, this movie could be a Hellraiser prequel to me and the ship fucking compacted into a cube and became, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> became the puzzle box with like, it's just fucking, I mean, it, it really feels like a Hellraiser movie sometimes, but I guess earlier we were talking about Lovecraftian cosmic horror explained elder beings. Pretty sure Pinhead and the Cenobites go into that category. Exactly. I 100% agree. I, it yeah. all, everything, uh, the, every, every bit of that is, is all what lives on the other side of the veil and the way the movies that choose to go there and the stories that choose yeah. to go there. I, I still am perfectly fine with calling them all in the Lovecraftian vein. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. So uh, okay. as the opening credits are shown, we travel through a wormhole. Mm. We go plaid. And uh, then we get some backstory via on-screen text that lets us know that in 2015, we colonized the moon. In 2035, we started mining on Mars. In 2040, the ship of Event Horizon was sent to explore the edge of the solar system and disappeared. It is now 2047. We see what we will soon learn is the missing ship just chilling next to Neptune. And uh, it looks like a cross when you first see it. And uh, this was done on purpose. Hmm. Um, they went and actually scanned all of the architecture of Notre Dame Cathedral and then took it apart 
and then use the pieces okay. of Notre Dame to build a ship. That is fucking awesome. Yeah, and there's and there's a reason why it looks like a cross. Oh, I'm gonna get into shit I never noticed until listening to the commentary <laughs> on this film that I'm like I'm a fucking idiot for not seeing all this before. So inside, we see all kinds of CGI objects floating around, and this is some of the stuff that doesn't look very good today, um, especially the liquid. Um, but you'll see this book fly by, and if you pay attention, it's got Anderson's face on the cover. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Yes, right in the opening. Dude could sit next to me on a bus, and I couldn't tell you what the fuck he looked like. <laughs> I wouldn't know. (laughs) And uh, we start drifting towards the front of the ship and we briefly cut to the screaming dude floating around. And uh, but we quickly see that it's all just Dr. Weir's nightmare waking up. Like suddenly Mm -hmm. we go from ship to screaming guy to Dr. Weir waking up like it's that fast. Weir's not on the ship. Weir's floating on a space station. He looks over at some pictures next to his bed, comments on his missing wife, Claire. And uh, then he glances over at the tub while he's shaving with a straight razor. You should quickly be able to connect the dots here about what's going through his mind and what happened to his wife. Just saying. And uh, we get this bad ass for 97. This shot holds up so good where there's a pull out from him through the window and out through the the space station while the space station is spinning around and the camera's pulling out and it looks gorgeous. I thought all the space shots were done pretty fucking well in this movie personally. And as this is happening, we can hear an announcement that the Lewis and Clark is docked and Weir is to head there. Like I just said, the the models with CGI touch up, they were beautiful. Um, one of the guys on this, it may have been one of the people I mentioned, it worked on stuff all the way back to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And that mm. shit, some of that holds up to this day. Yeah. As far as beautiful model work. Do you know why? Why? Practical effects. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we then jump on to said ship, which I'm probably just going to call the Clark for time's sake for the rest of this. And so I don't accidentally say Lois and Clark because I kept <laughs> doing that in my head so many times. And uh, we find out that it's on a top secret search and rescue mission. And we get a tour around it. And if you'll notice, the passageways are all coffin shaped doorways throughout the ship. And we meet the crew on their mission to Neptune. And Captain Miller is floating in his Morpheus chair. And I can't, I can't, I probably say this later. Oh, it's right there. Yeah, just bear with me i'm gay i'll gush about it and then i'll get past it and but him bouncing around in that chair is kind of goofy sometimes and (laughs) we meet smith stark and justin and then we head on to the alien crew mess to meet cooper peters and dj and weir's there too where's weir weir's there too he's now on the ship no, I just wanted to say, where is weird? It's oh. fucking getting gonna get ridiculous in here. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm too tired for. That. I got to actually read and enunciate right now. It's I can't hear t- the, the cough syrup's kicking in, man. It's like, where is weird? Where is weird? I'm like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> so, and I'm glad you agreed. It looks like the alien crew mess, like totally dead nuts on. Yeah, I watched this like three days ago, and I'm like, this feels like fucking alien. <laughs> and uh, a lot of it really is Matrix boot camp as far as Fishburne goes, as far as him being the captain of the ship, he's the head dude in charge. He is the quote unquote logical one. Like there's so many, uh, there's so many parallels I have to draw. And, you know, he basically went straight from this film to filming for the matrix. God, dude, time is fucking weird now that we're old, man. Yes. I didn't even realize like event horizon and matrix are that close together. Like what? Two years apart, probably yes. like a release date. Yes. That is insane. I do want to say like he is, one of the most believable captains I've ever seen in like a movie. Just the way he acts and the very monotone, no shit, very militant. You know what I mean? Like yes. I, he's, he's great in this movie. Yeah. Like it. Like if you're piloting for him and he's like fly into the fire and like, sir, you want me to fly the ship into the fire? Yes. <laughs> like, yes, sir. Like he, he, he killed it in this movie. It's actually one of my favorite uh, 
films with him in it. What's funny is with all the wire work in the Matrix, Fishburne <laughs> actually went back to Anderson and said that he, if had he not just done Event Horizon and learned wire work with him, he would have not made it through the wire work in the Matrix because at least he knew what the fuck was going on. <laughs> awesome. So uh, now that we've met everybody, the group goes into stasis for 56 days to make their make their way on their secret mission. And uh, we see Weir wake up to a voice that says, Billy. And he gets out of his pod and he follows the voice. And he finds Claire on the bridge of the ship. I'm waiting. The original idea for Claire was white scalar contacts, the whole eyeball contacts. Mm-hmm. Like the old glass ones? Yes. That hurt like fuck? Okay. Yes. Later on, they decided that they were going to do it to the missing eyes with the CGI mm-hmm. when they got told they could. But if you pay attention, when you're looking behind her, you can see her the reflection of her face in a monitor, and she has the white contacts. The only time you'll see it in the movie. Oh, I, I didn't catch that. And actually, I, I just assumed CGI wasn't a thing yet when I watched this. I just thought they composited it over the fucking eyes because it's not moving and shit, but... No, it's no, crazy. it's just cheapo, cheapo CGI. Weir wakes up mm-hmm. from what is obviously a nightmare of seeing his dead wife. Where? <laughs> Stop, I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, this time he's removed from his pod proper. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cooper then offers Weir some coffee as a setup for a great fucking joke. Because <laughs> he then asks Stark if she wants something hot and black inside her. <laughs> and I <laughs> fucking love that joke. <laughs> I mean, this is probably the first token black guy I ever saw in a movie, and they fucking play it out as much as they can, yep. but he is fantastic in this movie. He is the comic relief in places where you don't think anybody could fit comedy, and honestly, I don't know if anybody else could have done it. Like, no. the yeah. way he delivered it's going to be later, like when he's out working on the ship in space, like, he fucking kills it yeah. in this movie, man. He has me laughing so hard in a good way. How much longer? <laughs> Fuck you, I'm done. <laughs> How the fuck am I going to get back to the ship? <laughs> I just got fucking back. Here I come, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> He's great in this. So we see that Peter's watching a video of her disabled son, we will learn, mm-hmm. that she's had to leave him behind for this mission. And uh, Miller then properly introduces everyone and tells Weir to explain why they all have been pulled off of leave. So these fuckers were on vacation. Yeah, he's like, our very well-deserved leave. He's pissed. <laughs> I, I love him this movie. I like him more in this movie than I like him as Morpheus, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> so uh, Weir then gives them the classified inside scoop about the event horizon. Mm-hmm. It didn't drift off and blow up. It was a secret program to test a device that could create a wormhole to travel faster than the speed of light. He calls this the gateway. Now, in the movie, he keeps saying black hole, but he even does the piece of paper Mm. thing talking about how a wormhole works. Now, there was a time when people said, well, maybe if you could travel through a black hole, it could act as a wormhole. But in reality, it's a gravity hole. You would be crushed into nothingness. You would not travel through space and time. Right. But an actual wormhole, a bend in space and time, I can get behind that. So throughout this entire review, I will be saying wormhole every time Weir says black hole. <laughs> it's funny because I just remember growing up when I was, you know, like late teens and, and maybe even early 20s a bit and, and talking sci-fi movies with people that were confused and understand stuff. And they wouldn't understand wormholes. I would literally do the two holes to the piece of paper and stick the pencil through trick from this fucking movie. <laughs> like I use this as actual science for <laughs> up until about two months ago. And, uh, but I, I did always use it for a wormhole and not a black hole. I didn't even realize it was supposed to be a black hole until I watched it recently. 
<laughs> my head said wormhole. Was it in a movie before this? Maybe, but this was my first time seeing the wormhole trick. I think only, what was it? Was it the Disney flick, The Black Hole? Oh my God, I love that movie. That's the only other thing I can go for. I, I had a college professor, a physics college professor, explain a wormhole doing that. <laughs> and I'm like, did everybody watch the Horizon? <laughs> everybody saw the orgy movie? The space orgy? <laughs> Anyways, I'm so sorry. So, um, had the test been successful, it would have sent the ship away for about an hour, but it was gone for seven years and it's just now returned. I think I saw this before. It was called Gilligan's Island. <laughs> A three hour tour. <laughs> so Weir knows all of this because he designed the fucking ship. All right. Well, we should listen to Weir then, shouldn't we? <laughs> I love that part. Like, they're like, how'd you know so fucking much? Because I built the bitch. Okay. <laughs> So Weir then plays for them the only transmission that was received from the ship upon its return. And it's a fuckload of screaming and a bit of what DJ picks up on is Latin. Liberate. Sounds like Liberate me something. I don't know. I can't make out the rest. Liberate me. Save me. He should have drew the line at the Latin. Now, to me, it sounds like too much hell stuff. And... <laughs> Like you said, Latin. The space orgy. Yeah, yeah. I, I call it the murder orgy. Um, but more on that later. Um, the hell orgy. I just we, I just remember me and Jarrett trying to pause the VHS tape. And it was like fuzzy because it's VHS and it would fuck the tracking up. And we're like, what did I just see? Like, it wasn't like a, I want to go back and watch the Skinamax. It was like, was that an intestine or a dick? And then you go back to like, oh, it's both. Okay. <laughs> and they were both going inside of her. No, him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, I could probably call Jared on speakerphone right now, and he's probably still traumatized by this movie. When he was in town over the summer, we talked about watching it, and he's like, mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. So they then begin their approach, and we get to see how massive the event horizon really is. Yeah. And uh, they start cruising along the docking bays, and they stop to dock at, conveniently, Bay 13. Oh. Yeah, that's that's one of the other ones I didn't catch until my second recent watch. Um, <laughs> it's not a load-bearing wall, though. No, it is not, but it is now. <laughs> 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 but uh, they scan the ship, and the ship's powered down, and it's freezing. But somehow it's teeming with life, and there's no response on the radio. And Miller takes Peters, who is Mama Bear, and Justin, who is Baby Bear, to sweep the ship. And he tells Weir to stay behind, and Weir's really not happy about it. He's like, that's that's my ship. I'm going over there. And he's like, no, I need you here. So uh, they make their way on board with the help of their magnetic boots, which seems mm. dumb at first, but I'll, I'll explain it mm-hmm. here in a second. No, I get shoes in sci-fi all the fucking time, man. <laughs> and uh, they walk right into the shit we saw floating everywhere from Weir's dream at the opening of the movie. And they're in this main corridor that connects the two ends of the ship. And the whole thing about the gravity boots, a lot of people think it's dumb, but the plan was for everything to be zero G until they actually turned the gravity generator back on. And they That would have been cool. Yeah, they just didn't have the time and money. And they're like, magnetic boots, the ship's made of fucking steel, go. (laughs) So I'm okay with it. Anyway, they then spot these explosives all along this long-ass corridor. And they're like, Weir, what the fuck is this? And he's like, oh, it's a failsafe to sever the two ends of the ship in the event of an emergency. So you would have Mm -hmm. engineering back here, and uh, everybody could be in the cabin up here and in stasis in case they need to be rescued. That's foreshadowing. Anyway, (laughs) 
And I think it's around here that Miller says this, this place is a tomb and my God, (laughs) how right he was. But, uh, uh, he, he goes into the medical bay and gets a gloved jump scare. And that glove is 100% CGI. Um, best CGI in the movie, in my opinion, um, or the best 100% CGI in the movie. Okay. Meanwhile, Justin goes to the other end of the corridor and towards the core. And the door is marked with what looks like a biohazard symbol. But if you notice, the whole thing is also encircled in a giant 666. Now I noticed that. Kind of like the Google logo. I think they can sue us for that. What? Well, no. It's if, Have you ever looked and, and taken each color and drawn and then drawn the circle in the center? There's the red, green, and and orangish yellow. And there's three of them. And it, they make three sixes. I'm not joking. <laughs> conspiracies with josh anyways <laughs> we could make a, a whole fucking show about that one and that one would run longer than the episodes of this show so uh <laughs> justin gets the door open and beyond the door is a crazy ass meat grinder funhouse tunnel and at the other end of that a control panel meanwhile it's gonna be a lot of those peters heads to the bridge and uh, she sees a small amount of blood on the floor while we see full fucking gore and skulls growing out of the walls behind her. And it's much later in the movie before this gets pointed out by the crew, but it's just like Art Deco screaming mad George, throw it over there. <laughs> it looks like Hellraiser's fucking sex dungeon. <laughs> there you go. I think and, I just uh, called Pinhead Hellraiser, but I think you, were, you got where we I was got going. It. We got it. 90s Josh understood. So Peter spots the ship's log. And it's on a CD and uh, in an old JVC car stereo head unit. And of course it's jammed. That's the 90s. <laughs> they should have went with the Memorex, man. Like they would have <laughs> believed them was on the Memorex. So she has to fucking yank the disc out, but she's in zero G. And I guess her magnetic boots aren't working because she goes tumbling across and she smashes into what they call in the production corpsicle and uh he goes spinning around <laughs> where she can see him and it's this dead dude who's beat to shit and cut the fuck up and has no eyes let's go back to justin so he hits the lights in the room he was going into to reveal the core and it looks like one of those astronaut spinny things like we probably remember first seeing in the movie space camp yeah yeah okay and then later on you could like ride it at the fair where like like $5 for three minutes. No, no, no. The little, you stand up in it. It's the wheel within the wheel within the wheel. And they spin you around. Just one person. <laughs> nah, like a gyro. Oh, the gyroscope. Yes, yes. Like, yeah, like, like in space camp. Astronauts actually train with those. Yes. Yeah, just like in the movie space camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Okay, 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 okay. sorry. <laughs> As he comes in, it locks into position to do the lament configuration thing. You know, out of Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> and this fucking portal forms in the middle of it. And Justin's radio connection to the Clark goes out just then. And uh, Justin goes up and touches the Matrix mirror that has formed because it does the exact same thing they do in the Matrix with fucking Keanu, where the mirror goes all goopy. And uh, (laughs) just as he touches it, he gets yanked in. And then the portal lets out this burst of fucking energy that damages both the Event Horizon and the Clark. Thankfully, Justin is tethered by a steel cable to Papa Bear. Cooper and uh, Cooper uses it to chase him, chase his way to him and then pull him back out of the goop and they slam into the wall, of the core just missing one of those big ass spikes that are all around the room because it's this big round room. Yeah, they really built this whole thing. The core really spun. All the lights are real. It did the configuration. All that's legit. It's Guar's basement. 
there you go. And the spikes that are coming out of the walls, not only were they used for some of the gore scenes, but the, the whole gyro in the middle was supposed to go into a second configuration where all the spikes on the walls connected to it. And they never made it that far into production because you okay. money. Anyways. So at this point, there's been this burst of energy released and shit. So the rest of the crew rushes on to the event horizon like, what the fuck happened? Because this shit, whatever it was, blew a hole in the side of the Clark. So by this point, Peters has managed to engage the event horizon's gravity, and we get a nice shot of corpsicle smashing to the floor. <laughs> the first take of this had to be dumped because a disgruntled crew member hid a very obvious doll in the gut pieces and okay. in, in the first one they dropped they were like is that a barbie doll <laughs> 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 they had to fucking redo it you know what they could have kept it in this movie and it would fucking add yep. up to weird conspiracy theories and pausing and nobody would have exactly there would have been a fucking reddit thread about the doll yeah. <laughs> it'd have a name by now <laughs> So all the terrible CGI coolant that was floating around is now in the floor, too, including kind of partially flooding the floor of the core. So with power, heat, and gravity restored, they have no radio, and the CO2 in the event horizon is building up fucking fast. So they have to go get the scrubbers off of the Clark, Paul 13, anyone? And um, <laughs> that will yield them about 20 hours of breathable air. So Smith is told to start fucking repairs while catatonic Justin is brought into the medical <laughs> bay of the event horizon. So Smith's out on the Clark, everybody else on the horizon. And, uh, Justin looks like he's seen some shit and he's very much not ready to talk about it. And Cooper tries to explain what he saw when he found Justin to Miller and Weir's just like, Oh, swamp gas Venus. Like you didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's going to do most of the movie. And um, he says that the gateway would have had to have been open, but the gravity drive wasn't on. So there's no way he even saw the portal. And uh, Miller pushes against Weir because he's like, this is my fucking crew. I don't know you. I'm going to believe my crew over you. Right. Explain yourself. And uh, M Miller really does. He's like, well, gravity waves and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, there really is fucking like he dances around so hardcore. I mean, there's um, earlier when he's trying to explain how the ship works before he even does like the, the pencil through the paper. He, he goes, let me see if I can explain this in layman's terms. And he's like, starts to explain it. And they go layman terms, bitch. Was that shit even English? You know what I mean? Like it's like yes. constantly spitting out science shit. And then he also does the, that's classified. That's class. You know what I mean? So yes. like, they don't know what the fuck this guy, nobody trusts him. He's the fucking Gustavo at this point. <laughs> so when he comes up with that bullshit, Miller's response is, <laughs> to order the core room sealed shut. <laughs> yeah. I ain't going I'm, near I'm that. I'm actually shit. surprised he never threw Weir in the brig at some point in this movie. I know, right? So we then cut back to Peters, who's just chilling, you know, and over in medical. And uh, she's hearing the scratching sound. She's looking around like, okay, I'm crazy. Goes back to what she's doing, starts hearing the scratching sound again. And all of a sudden, there's a fucking tent in the middle of the room. <laughs> and uh, she goes over to it. And she opens up the tent, and there's her boy with fucking beat-to-shit legs. One, foreshadowing. Two, as soon as she sees it, fucking DJ grabs her like, what's wrong? And the tent and everything disappears. Must right. have been in her head. Maybe her own personal hell. Um, right. <laughs> so, uh, Peters then shows Captain Miller what she that uh, she's recovered the last entry from the Horizons vlog. Um, but she needs to clean it up a bit. How many subscribers they got on their YouTube channel now? <laughs> I want that URL, like eventhorizonsvlog.com. 
Anyways, um, the ship's power then dips. And Weir says, uh-oh, that's the core. <laughs> and Miller and Weir go to check it out. And when they go in the core, Weir's like, oh, it must be da-da-da-da-da. And he opens the service panel on the side, and he climbs into the Matrix. And I'm not joking. Like, all the walls are fucking green and black and fucking circuit boards. And he, he's he's crawling around in the Matrix. And uh, yeah. he goes over to this fucking blade server and pulls out a fucking blade. And he's like, oh, yeah. it must be the... <laughs> It's funny, you went with Matrix. To me, Matrix is all digital. I literally, both times that I watched this in the past few months, thought of Hackers. Okay, I will give you that like 100%. Like, Gibson. It was like, you know what I mean? Like, going through the actual fucking computer towers. Like I, every Both times I watched it recently, I was like, this is fucking Hackers. <laughs> oh, look at that. Files are arranged in little buildings inside of computers. <laughs> you mean the files are inside the computer? <laughs> So that's weird. Checking out what's wrong with the core's quote unquote failsafe. Meanwhile, Justin starts to convulse and mumble to DJ about someone coming. Come on. Who's coming? The dark. And we cut right back over to the Matrix or the Gibson, <laughs> as Jesse put it. And uh, the lights start to pulse and they're slowly going on and off. And, uh, He's uh, Weir's fucking hearing noises from his dead wife again. And finally, she just jumps up for a fucking cheap fucking jump scare that you can see coming a mile away right next to him. And she says, be with me forever. <laughs> <laughs> so the lights come back on. He must have fixed whatever the failsafe was. And um, Miller, who's standing out in the courtroom, suddenly sees this dude rising up out of the coolant in the floor, fucking burnt to shit and still on fire. So normal shit. Yeah, normal shit. That is an eight-layer uh, compositing Okay. with CGI touch-up. Some of it's good. Some of it's horrendous. When you just see the legs, it's good. When we get to the face, it's kind of bad. But for 97, pretty fucking cool. And, and then it's just over. They walk out of the room. Like, that, that kind of shit happens. So you're supposed to be understanding that, like, as people are seeing weird things like this, they just disappear. So is it really yeah. there or is it all in their head? To on, on a serious note for the story. So we then get Miller calling a meeting. Duh, he's the captain. He's talking about what he saw. Peters chimes in that she's seen some shit. And DJ and Weir both try to blow it all off. And then Smith is just like, you know what? Fuck you. And he just totally lunges at Weir. And DJ yeah. calms him down with a scalpel to his throat. Just threateningly. He doesn't he doesn't cut him. <laughs> and Miller's like, whoa, it's whoa, okay. Whoa, whoa. It's okay. <laughs> Daddy's got you. <laughs> and uh You want something big and black in you? Like, they come at him hard. <laughs> He needs to separate these fuckers. So he's like, Smith, back out on repair duty. And you like the spacewalk. And uh, Stark then tells Miller, like, look, I don't know what's really going on here, but based on all of my scans, now that I've been able to review them, the event horizon is alive and it's actually reacting to their presence. And Miller's like, fuck you too. Like, I, I can't buy this. I can't buy this fucked up science explanations right now. Okay. Give me something better. He knew they shouldn't have stopped the peyote planet on the beginning of vacation. Ah, right. That's why they're like, not fuck. releasing that fucking lost footage. They've explained too much. They would have the war paint and the fingernail polish and the memory X would have been fucking weird. So back to uh, mama bear and baby bear. Literally. I think they call each other that right they do. in the movie. Hearing Lawrence Fishburne say it later is chef's kiss. <laughs> so Peters is just walking, you know, 
He's cat, cat talk again. He's just laying there and shit. And the camera, it's like the, the paranormal activity thing. Like we, we, we pan with her walking past him. We pan with her mm-hmm. walking past him again. And we pan back and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so then the lights dim. And then what lights are left on fucking explode while Peters is hearing this banging. And she's like, fuck this. I'm out. And as she runs away, fucking lights are exploding and shit. And like we get this, we get a fucking straight up evil dead fucking through the woods, <laughs> through the hallways, yeah, thing, yeah. chasing her and shit. And she rushes onto the bridge and shuts the door behind her and something starts slamming into it. And Weir spins around and he's like, we need to open that door. <laughs> it's like, no, we don't. <laughs> and Stark manages, <laughs> like, he, yeah, yeah. He goes for it and Stark manages to stop him. And then an airlock alarm goes off. And they rush over to the airlock door and like, what the fuck? And it's Justin. And he's just standing in there. So they call up Captain Miller because shit's fucked. And it's Miller time. Yes. And, uh, He's out on the Clark checking on how repairs are going. And so he starts floating, uh, going through the non-load bearing structure um, over to the outside (laughs) of the airlock that it looks like Justin's about to jettison his ass out. Justin says the dark shows you horrible things and he won't go Mm. back. And Stark's like, okay, I'm going to hack the shit so I can override the inner door. And there's this violin piece that's playing here that on upon further review, it's actually played earlier in the movie, like opening credits earlier and a few other times. Okay. And But right here, it's a, it's a quick, easy spot to go to. It literally sounds like it was straight up lifted from Poltergeist. Just saying. So after Justin says his piece, he hits the button for the outer airlock because, you know, it's an airlock. That's two doors, an inner door and an outer door for anyone that doesn't know. He's in between them. Um, anyways, so the outer door is on a 30 second delay. So now they got 30 seconds before shit gets real and the airlock itself is already decompressing. So now that he's fucked, Justin snaps out of it. And he's like, where am I? What's going on? And he starts freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and more, um, uh, Miller is fucking going towards him. <laughs> Morpheus again. And uh, is, it's going to be so fun editing out your Morpheus. I mean, Miller's I, I'm just going to keep some of them. It's going to be great. Everybody's going to love it. And uh, he's like, you're okay, baby bear. What I want you to do is close your eyes as tight as you can. Put your hands over your eyes and curl up in a ball. Get as tight as you can. And the guys inside are like, he's going to fucking explode. And <laughs> Yeah, he's like, hold your breath and don't breathe. I, I, I just, I fucking buy him being a captain. I know. And then he does the like major pain. But Timmy, you ain't got no legs. Like when he tells that story later, and you're like, oh, that's why he's the way he is. <laughs> but uh, it's this perfectly timed thing where the airlock opens just as, of course, Justin's bleeding everywhere. But Miller's already flying towards him to grab him and crash back into the airlock. Just as Stark is getting the inner door open, so it's it's right. He's exposed to space briefly. He still would have been dead as fuck, but. I'll play along. I've seen hell stuff. He would have instantly fucking froze and then shattered right as fucking Larry Fishburne slammed into his ass. Yes. But he did. Yeah. So with Justin uppercase fucked, Miller told <laughs> Miller tell Miller, Miller time. <laughs> Miller tells Peters to finish fixing the video and he confronts Weir again. He's been fed nothing but bullshit from him, and he's to the point now where he's like, I want answers. But Still Weir gives fucking nothing. And now he's not even given swamp gas bullshit. He's just silent. <laughs> so now we got something getting into Miller's head next. Here's this voice calling to him. And he has this vision of what happened to the last crew of the Event Horizon. Now, well, you were talking about pausing VHS. So if you <laughs> slow this little scene down, <laughs> you can see it's basically a full-blown Hellraiser torture chamber type thing. 
once okay. again trimmed down by the fucking MPAA. I think if people understood this was a yeah. horror movie first and a sci-fi movie second, a lot of the shit would have been left in. I mean, my understanding, the space murder, death, kill, orgy would still be considered pretty graphic by today's standards. Oh, yeah. From the way I've heard yeah. it described from the missing footage. Yeah. yeah. So Miller then tells DJ um, about this. They're having a little heart to heart sitting down in front of this big tank near the stasis pods. And that tank only exists for a scene later on in the movie. It serves no real purpose. Um, we'll get to that. But he's telling DJ that, you know, that he had one crew man that he he left behind. Like he had no choice to save the others. He let this guy fucking burn up. And, uh, and the guy couldn't feel his legs. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. And this this is what he saw and who he's hearing. And uh, <laughs> DJ then tells Miller that upon further review, it's like, <laughs> Miller's like, thank you for the bad news. Let me make it worse. <laughs> it's like, um, so I believe I've made a mistake in my translation of the distress signal. I thought it said liberate me. Save me. But it's not me. It's liberate Tuteme, save yourself, and it gets worse. There. I think that says X in fairies. Save yourself from hell. And this whole time they just wanted fucking pizza. I mean... (laughs) So uh, this is a good time to receive an update that the repairs on the Clark are nearly complete. Let's get the fuck out of here. Meanwhile, Peters finally gets the log video fixed and she shows it to Miller and a couple other people. Now to us, the video is just blood and guts and torture. What was cut down of the video was the crew literally fucking each other to death while ripping themselves and each other apart. I mean, that's in the movie more or less. It's just single frame shots. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you you see, there's there's some going doggy, and then intestines flying through the air, and st- it's weird. Yeah, and somebody getting throat fucked by intestines. But come on, I gotta mm. I gotta go back to I've said Scream Mad George too many times in this episode, but go back to have, you haven't you still haven't watched Society, have you? No. Okay. I think of it every time I use the word cuddle puddle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the amount of times you've like referenced that movie to me, I now say cuddle puddle. As a descriptor, and I've never even seen the fucking movie. It's bad. They released that shit. They could they could have left it in, uh, uncut in here, but it's too late. So uh, Miller's response to this video is fucking epic. We're leaving. We're of course opposes, saying that they need to stay on mission, and their mission was to rescue the crew and salvage the ship. And Miller says the crew's dead. Your ship killed them. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Fucking, Fucking love just it. deadpan says it, and I believe it. And at that point, somebody, like, he should have, like, sidearm held up a nail gun or something and popped weird in the head and then just fucking left. Yeah. It's the only non-believable thing about this movie. He would have shot him in the head at that point. Yes. But instead, Miller orders the crew to get their shit together, including the CO2 scrubbers, and prepare to leave. Weir gets pissy and says that they can't just leave the event horizon behind. Miller says he's not going to leave it behind. He's going to get to a safe distance and blow it the fuck up. Fuck this <laughs> ship. <laughs> I fucking love his character. This is my favorite Larry Fishburne character. This and the pigeon dude in the John Wick movies. <laughs> so um, upon hearing Captain Miller's plans for the ship, uh, the core fires up and then Weir disappears into the shadows. Meanwhile, Peters and Smith grab the scrubbers, which are 
they're they're fucking installed right in the core room. Terrible ship design. <laughs> and they gather the ones that are still good. And as they go to leave the room, Peter sees her son run by. So Smith carries on while Peters decides to follow him. Her yeah. son, not Smith. And once again, we're going through coffin-shaped doors, coffin-shaped passages until she climbs this ladder and ends up up above the core. And she sees her son just standing there on the other end of the hallway, and she smiles, and she blissfully walks towards him and then falls down this fucking hole, Mm. beating herself up against the walls, and then smashes to pieces in the floor of the fucking Mm -hmm. core with primarily her legs busted to shit, just like when she saw her son in the tent. Yeah. So uh, Weir then finds her in the core, but then Claire calls to him again. And he turns around and he's back in his bedroom from the opening of the movie from the space station. Yeah. But this time he's there with Claire and he's just watching her go through the motions of killing herself in the bathtub, slitting her wrist and shit. It's okay though. Cause then dead Claire pops up and says she has such wonderful things to show him, which is yeah. so that's the last line you're talking about. It's, it's that's so lifted from, from yeah. Hellraiser except for the lines that we have such beautiful pain to show you. I think it is. It's something similar. Yeah. She then gouges his eyes out. But then we cut back to see that it's Weir still in the core room gouging out his own eyes. Yeah. Weir has now gone crackers. But where is Weir? <laughs> <laughs> we then see that Cooper is wrapping up the repairs on the Clark and he's about to make his way back in. But, uh, oh shit, Miller and Smith realized that Weir just took one of the explosives from the Event Horizon corridor, stashed it in the Clark, and has vamosed. Vominos? That is unfortunate. <laughs> and uh, Smith's like, shit, because Miller's telling him, like, hey, one of the explosives is gone, blah, blah, blah. And Smith's like, where, 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 where's where? And uh, he sees some blood <laughs> on this tag on a bag, and he's like, oh, must be that. And uh, he finds it just in time to see the countdown at five seconds. And he's got that look on his face like, I don't yeah. even have time to light a cigarette. That's what I was going to say. The look on his face is so, like, believable and relatable yes. about the... I just got here too late and I'm fucked. <laughs> it is great and the ship explodes and it looks awesome except for you can see the cable attached to the Cooper stand-in that gets blown off the side mm. of the ship, but it's okay. I didn't catch the cable, but I, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so Cooper gets flung off into deep space because of this. We are now left with Miller. Stark, DJ, and Weir on the event horizon for the third act. While Cooper blows his air tanks to jet his way back to the fucking ship. Oh my God. It is so dumb. It's so good. We quoted it earlier. It's so hilarious. <laughs> I don't even think it feels out of place. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is a really well-made movie. It, <laughs> it is. Really is. Cause like his character and the joke shouldn't fit. And in a way they don't, but then they're, they're perfect. And like, you couldn't not have them. I know. We'll say this is the best Paul W.S. Anderson directed movie. <laughs> this was the pinnacle of his career 87 years ago. And uh, yeah. So uh, Miller then tells DJ via the comms <laughs> that uh, Weir blew up the Clark and that if he sees him, he needs to take him out. Weir is standing yeah. behind him and kicks his ass before playing operation with him. Miller rushes to him, but it's too late. DJ is now in a blood eagle of sorts. And uh, mm-hmm. this was actually supposed to be shown with him cut open with his intestines still connected and in a puddle in front of him and him still alive. But okay. MPAA, which I, I just I don't get it, especially in 87. I've seen much more horrific shit than this in our movies. But Paramount was not known for grotesque shit. Right. The MPAA has always, always 
kill disembowelment scenes, though. Even if you don't see it happen, the After Effects, so many movies that we watch. Uh, Scream. Scream, yeah. Two sets of disemboweled intestines set on the ground with steam coming off, and they fucking cut them. Yep. Right? Like, the MPAA has always cut bowels laying on the ground. It's like, that's a no-no. Like, fucking rape's okay. <laughs> I know, right? You, no intestines on the ground. Yeah, you you can be you can be racist, anti semite, and and rape and all this stuff. That's okay, but we cannot see ooey gooey guts. The amount of violence that's allowed to be shown, and then it's like you can't see what the intestines look like on the ground. I get them saying no to like the intestines physically being pulled out, right? Yeah, but that's not like we can't even see the after effects. And I'm not seeing like I'm not a huge gore hound, anyways. But it's, I don't know. It's just, it's weird that that's always like a stickler for. Them. I know, or just an abundance of blood. It's fucking weird. And then you just get Steven Spielberg to go in and he can get the rating changed. Yes. Or make a new one. I need a new classification just for me. <laughs> oh. So Miller has officially had enough and he kits up with a rivet gun and he goes on the hunt and he finds Stark on the bridge along with Weir. Weir finally says that the ship tore a hole to another dimension of pure chaos, pure evil. And she came back alive and uh, Weir then fires up the core. And uh, sets a course for hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stark tries to stop him, but uh, he knocks her out. And then he grabs Miller's rivet gun because he had set it down when he found Stark because she was mm-hmm. passed out. He had to get the smell and salt out and shit. Anyways, so Miller's like, what are you going to shoot me? You're going to blow the hole. And uh, he's like, I don't care or something. And Cooper comes flying in towards the fucking window. Yes. Just the- <laughs> I'm back, bitches. And he's there to save the day. But no, Weir shoots the barb through the fucking window. And there's explosive decompression. And Cooper gets flung back out into space for a second time. <laughs> I swear he yells, fuck this shit or something like that. It's, it's fucking something. great. I'm back, motherfuckers. No. (laughs) So uh, decompression then ensues. And Weir gets sucked out the window, but Miller and Stark manage to make it out. uh, Miller gets on this hunk of cable and climbs out and grabs Stark and they get out. So as soon as they get out, they realize there's someone at the airlock and they're like, oh, fuck, it's Weir. But it's Cooper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't beat this motherfucker. And uh, they realize that they have five minutes before the jump. And Miller's plan is to blow the corridor, separating the two halves of the ship. They can go into stasis and hope for a rescue. Mm -hmm. So the ship then starts releasing blood in odd places. There's only one man who would dare use raspberry. (laughs) It's the first thing I think as soon as the red starts dumping through all the liquid in this ship, man. It's like fucking oozing out. And what came first, man? Spaceballs or Event Horizon? And I'm going to say they ripped off fucking Spaceballs. They did, but I honestly thought you were going to say what? Like the back of a Volkswagen? <laughs> Shit. No, that's an uncomfortable place, not an odd place. Okay. So uh, while all this craziness is going on, Cooper sees the lights above him just fill with blood. And all they did was take some red fucking paper and pull it in front of the lights. That's yeah, all they I can tell. It's not, I don't even know if it's paper. They probably used um, the gel that you use for lights. So another thing that happens is that giant tank that exists for no reason starts filling with blood and then it dumps yeah. it all out on Stark. And she was the only one standing there for some reason. But the only reason this shot exists was to pay homage to the Shining's elevator shot. Like that's what. Oh, Anderson really? Said. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's all. I mean, that's awesome. They did that. It's also cool. You can see, um, for some reason, all the piping and the air ducts and the ship are randomly clear now at this point. Yep. And you can see the blood 
coursing through there, which is really neat. And it kind of like that is the flowing through the hallway out of the elevator in a way now that you say that. But yeah, it, it's a cool shot. Yeah, it's awesome. So Miller arms up the explosives and with a detonator in hand gets chased right into the core room by fire dude. Yeah. And this is a really cool shot because it's old school. They did, uh, it's all composited. So they did a right. shot of Fishburn running through the meat grinder with just a thing of lights being pushed behind him. Then they did a miniature with a little bitty flamethrower actually shooting the fire down the tube. And then they did a full scale with a full size flamethrower that nearly burnt down the set. <laughs> but it looks cool. How many times can Pinewood Studios almost be burnt down? <laughs> I know, right? It's like if you make a movie there, you have to start a fire. There's just no way around yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Miller is now locked in the now burning core room with the fire dude who's coming at him, but then morphs into Weir because Miller's like, you're not yeah. real. This isn't real. And then he turns into Weir. It's not just the fire dude. Uh, he looks like the guy like Miller thinks it's the guy well he miller knows better but it looks like the guy he left for dead yes on yes. the one mission yes, yes yeah yes. and that's why he's like fuck you you're dead i know it's not you yeah <laughs> I, I left your ass myself right yeah i didn't note it but i think his name's edmund um okay so weir is now cinnabite like he just needs some leather and hooks like he's he's naked he's all yes. cut up Weir uh, then grabs Miller by the head and shows him his own crew in perma torture through another hell stuff Flashy scene. Yeah. And Miller managed to fight him off with one of the spent CO2 scrubbers that's laying on the ground, but it's too late and the gravity drive fires up and oh, hey, there's the detonator. <laughs> yeah. So as the wormhole begins to open, fucking Morpheus hits the button and the <laughs> corridor blows and everything gets sucked through it while Stark and Cooper are left behind floating, watching all this shit go down. Cut to 72 days later and the next rescue team. They find Stark cooper and justin in stasis but justin should have been on the clark when it blew i'll get back to that in a minute they release stark who is completely relieved to see her rescuer until he raises his visor and it's fucking weird no wait that yeah. was all in her head it's just a normal dude and cooper's there too as the door fucking closes on its own trapping everyone in the event horizon that's yeah. the end earlier in the movie before the clark gets blown up as soon as they say repairs are almost done Miller orders Peters to get Justin and he's given orders of what to get back on the Clark. And he, he says yeah. Justin first. I think that's important. It's either poorly made, poorly timed, or I'm just thinking too much. But I really think it lends credence to my theory is with this type of the ending. I think the survivors went through the wormhole. Everything went through the wormhole. And this is just the start of their own personal hell. Hmm. And that's why Justin's still there because he was an ambiguous death to them. So he could be there so they could see him die or whatever, you know, torture, blah, 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 blah. Just my theory. I have no idea. There were multiple endings that have been lost to time except for that VHS tape. But I, I think it's one of those movies that one duh, has a cult following now. Um, it made yeah. enough money on DVD that they wanted to do a director's cut. If you go into it knowing what it is, it's a fucking fun movie. Kind of like it, yeah. it's. Kind of like Ghost Ship. Like, usually when when Ginger puts this or Ghost Ship in, we have to watch the other one afterwards. I, I think it's an awesome movie. Like you joked earlier, it's it's probably one of Paul W.S. Anderson's best directorial yeah. efforts. And uh, it was fucking, it, it was boot, for yeah. Lawrence Fishburne, it was Matrix fucking boot camp. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. And the blatant, blatant 
takes from Alien and Hellraiser do not piss me off. Yeah. They should. No, they don't. They, they're, they were done well. No, no. I mean, the kind of asshole I am. <laughs> I, have a, I have a movie plot question for you. Okay. And then, and then a couple things to add. So, one, I never really caught. So, what does Miller's crew do normally? Like, what? Like the way he talks about them on leave and how militant he is and how they act, I assume they were, like, military. I don't know. I'd I'd honestly have to go okay. back to the beginning of the movie and pay more attention because it's one of those things. I wanted to rewind it to see, and I was like, I'll just ask Josh. But like they they don't their ship's not armed and they're not armed, so I found that odd. I think considering the the primary original goal of the mission is a salvage operation, so I think that's what they do. I think they really oh, are. Man, they're a salvage team. Okay. Yeah. I really think that's what they are. And I guess technically, if you watch uh, Deadliest Catch, the ship captains are kind of militant, <laughs> right? You know, I'm, yes. No, I'm being serious. Not in a, I'm, I'm just saying, like, people could die if you exactly. don't follow. Yes. You orders, don't have time to be yeah. nice. I was thinking they were search and rescue, and I'm like, surely they have to rescue people from pirates. Like, space pirates would be a thing, right, if you could space travel. Yeah. And, and I'm like, why, why is nobody fucking armed in this movie? Second, I, I very rarely say this, but I feel like this is a movie that would be due for a remake. Oh, yeah. Reboot, however you want to call it. Um, and that Feedy Alvarez style, not, not, not Feedy doing it, even though he actually might do a great job. But, like, you take the heart of it, but make it your own and remake it, but in a way that doesn't piss off the fans. And I, I think the way you would do that, you take the crew and the ships and you keep all the crew members' personalities exactly the same. You keep the exact same plot points. Why Weir's got a personal investment to be there. Why everybody's coming back. The way everything goes down. But you take out all the Hellraiser. You add more of the Lovecraft. Okay, make it make it am- ambiguous as to what it is. Yeah, because like to the fan base and the general populace and the film critics, this movie is often described now as a Lovecraftian film. Oh, yeah. So do it. Remove the Hellraiser. Lean more on insanity than than body horror, and I think you would be able to remake a movie in an original way that people would enjoy it, and not a single fan would be pissed. So Paramount Pictures, if you want to contact Josh and Jesse <laughs> at Slice by Slice, we would gladly pin this for you and uh, direct it. So, but no, seriously, you you could do that, right? Like like just like, and there's nothing wrong with the Hellraiser. I'm just saying, like the fact that it's perceived as Lovecraftian now. If you're gonna reboot it. You can't remake the same movie, and if you completely change it, people are going to be pissed. So make the same movie, but lean on the fucking Eldritch Horror and remove the Hellraiser Horror. Well, you could you could do not only do that, but actually spend more time with people in in these episodes of mm-hmm. seeing stuff on the other side instead of these cut down flashes. You show the descent to madness more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, but exactly, and because Weir is the only one that gets played that way throughout the the slow slip throughout the movie. Yeah. Everybody else is just like flash, flash, fuck. It, it, it's almost like it, it's Sam Neill being the same character from Mouth of Madness. Yeah. But in space. Yeah. 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 yeah no, mean, you could do it. You could slow burn it. And then when you do show the other side, make it that intense. Like you could still do some of the hell, some of the torture stuff, but you can go so far beyond that. But that's it for our cosmic horror episodes. You guys are going to have to tune in for the next episode where Josh and I take the next step in our relationship and move on to the big A. And I'm bringing muscle relaxers. That's right. We're finally covering the alien franchise. That's just fucking great, man. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty shit now, man. Game over, man. Game over. What the 
fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbispodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbispodcast. See you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening. Dude, just get the fuck out of my sight.